up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Dunk of Up the Ship Podcast. This is episode 76. Uh, this is a Q&A that I did on Discord uh, recently, which if you don't know what that is, um, it is a server-based like chat voice platform. I guess people use it for gaming uh, quite a bit, and it has evolved into kind of like a multi-purpose thing. It has a lot of functionality, kind of like Zoom. Um, but you can, it has like voice channels, video channels, and, uh, like these, it's almost like chat kind of, uh, it's interesting. I don't fully understand it quite yet. Um, but I've been on the Navy server for a little while. Um, and if you get on discord, it's a public server that you can just go find. And then it has a bunch of different channels and stuff. And, um, the mods from that invited me to do a live Q and a that we were able to record, which was really cool. Um, I really, I had a great time doing it because it was a live thing. So there was a bunch of people in there and then the mods read a bunch of questions that got kind of dropped in by a bunch of other people. Um, and yeah, I just, it was really, really cool. I had a lot of fun interacting with all the people that are there. Uh, I definitely plan on doing it again. And what you'll see from this episode is so first, um, you're, you're going to hear one of the mods kind of describe what discord is and, and how it's, how they use the Navy server, uh, to do the things that they do. And then there'll be a transition into the actual, uh, Q and a piece. So, uh, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I definitely enjoyed making it. So check it out. So I just want to say that this is a, you know, it's a U.S. Navy discord servers founded by a U.S. Navy sailor. Um, we got a pretty great diverse group of people here from all different kinds of communities. So you will see like predominantly there's a lot of Intel folks here. We have chiefs on the mod staff. Um, we have eight. We have one chief on the mod staff, uh, and he's done an amazing, amazing job mentoring sailors. And we have even, you know, uh, very junior, like third classes who are moderators here that they're the computer generation. They know how to get all this stuff set up on Discord. And, you know, they set up the podcast here with a, with a recording bot that I didn't even know existed. And uh, so shout out to the mod staff. They're fantastic. And we have just people here who sometimes they come in, they ask a single question and um, just kind of pulling from this wealth of knowledge. We have different branches in here. And um, what else can I say about it? Grace, do you want to say anything? Uh, no, I think you, gotta, you just about covered it. Uh, just that we have a ton of good knowledge in this place and we're actually here to help uh, sometimes. You know, you can be jaded, you can complain and stuff. Here's a good uh, place to keep it productive where you complain with a purpose, you know. Uh, no, I was just going to say, no, it's awesome. And it's like, I like, I like it for the same reasons I like Reddit, except I think that it's like a different flavor, I guess, just a different version. And I think Reddit can get a little out of control sometimes, but it's still productive and you still see a lot of people getting help with issues uh, there as well. So like, I think it's, it's cool. It's not just cool, but it's necessary because like we talk, people ask like why, uh, like why the chief's mess has a closed door. And that's a big part of it is that you can go behind that closed door and just like have a meltdown, vent, complain, whatever, get it out of your system and also find help. And a lot of times E6 and below don't have that mechanism anywhere. And that's a problem. Like, so it's really cool to see stuff like this popping up like and and some of it i'm sure has been around forever and i'm just unaware of it but like it's cool and somebody invited me to check out reddit i went and checked it out and have not just like learned things and and gotten a lot of awesome feedback about the podcast but i've had guests come out of that and just like a lot of really cool like guys i consider friends now um which is it's just awesome 
And then like for, for this too, like, it's just, it's really cool to see another mechanism. And this has like voice and all this other stuff that I did a podcast on discord the other day with the, if, if you're not familiar with the guys from test depth, it's a, it's like submarine focused clothing brand. And uh, they do a podcast called on the Midwatch, and it's just submariners talking about submarine stuff generally. And, um, I did it through this and there's a video function and when they recorded it and all this stuff, and I didn't even know any of this was real. So it's cool to see this exist and that there's another community out there for sailors to come vent, come ask for help, come just kind of lay it all out and, and get support or just like, I, you're not the only one or whatever. Like it's, it's awesome. Can we keep it pretty chill oh, in if, here? <laughs> if I, if I may real quick. Absolutely. Think about the group. We also have Lifeline to help. Like I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners have heard of Chief Khan and all the things that he's been able to do. Um, Chief Khan yep. and the people that work with him are also on the server. We actively work. We've actually been able to help several sailors as well directly through the server, working with them. So that's a great resource as well, being able to help out people with mental health issues directly through the server. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I had Chief Khan on the podcast quite a couple years ago. Uh, at this point, but um, I think it was like episode 32 or something. It's it pretty far back, but uh, it was, I think he's the first interview I ever did actually. Um, but gr- he's amazing. Yeah. Like he was, he was a guy that it was funny. I tell the story, but uh, I, he, I've told him too, but like when I first saw his videos on Reddit, I like rolled my eyes. Cause I was like, ah, oh, look at this dude in his dress blues, like doing videos about what I, but then like, I finally listened to it. Cause I tried to be like, all right, stop being judgmental. You jerk. And like, actually, cause I, cause then I saw a lot of positive feedback and I was like, all right, I got to check this guy out and see what he's all about. And when I, when I first listened to his stuff, I was just like, oh, I get it. Like you, this dude's awesome. And then I'm like, I have to talk to him. And so, yeah, we did a podcast and I still connect with him here and there um, and, and check in on him. But great, great dude. And that's awesome that you guys are using this for that as well. That's that's it's incredible because I always I always kind of wondered like he would post like, hey, somebody's in trouble. They're in this area and he's like trying to figure out who they are. And I always kind of kind of wondered how he did that. And now I kind of know that's pretty that's pretty awesome. All right. So that was the the quick introduction, I know it was a few minutes of them talking, but I, I thought it was important to get that context out there. Maybe most of you know what Discord is, but I sure didn't. So I thought that was an important piece there. Uh, and so now we'll transition into the Q&A portion. Enjoy. All right. So those of you guys in um, on voice chat right now, you'll be muted by default. But if you'd like a chance to speak, just say so in the questions chat and we'll unmute you and you'll have your chance. questions let's go i'm in i'm ready so we have a bunch of questions already ready okay should i so should i just start answering those and then if somebody wants to talk talk or are you gonna just let them ask the question as well podcast i mean it'd be cooler if people talked but if they're uncomfortable doing that i'm happy to like read the question and then It'd be, it'd be a lot cooler if it was more like me. Some of the mods to like take turns reading the questions that were asked in advance. Yeah, that's fine. Let's do that. We can catch up. Okay. So the first question comes from Ventura. He is unfortunately unable to be here because he's on a flight and he hopes the recording goes well. And he says, hi, Master Chief. Currently Neb sub school. Sorry. uh, Sub school. Got it. He's, he's in school. Student here, mm-hmm. making my way through the SES pipeline. I'm already stressing about getting my fish, as it's been explained as pretty much the most important in aspect to regard being a 
Submariner. My question is though, throughout the process, how supportive is the crew? I know hazing in today's Navy is relatively <laughs> rarely tolerated, but my chain, but I'm sorry, will my chain be supportive or have the attitude of why should I help for this lack of better term nub? Thanks so much. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so there's a couple of, it's, there's a couple of questions there really. It's so like, how worried should you be about it? It is the most, it's going to be the most important thing you got going on. Um, for some rates, there's going to be watches that you have to qualify as along with that. They're going to kind of expect you to do an entry level watch station at the same time you're working on your, your, your dolphin quals, which is totally doable. Um, it, how how the crew supports you and how your chain of command supports you are kind of they're two different things right so your chain of command hopefully they're awesome um like your divisional and departmental chain of command hopefully they're great and they're really supportive a lot of times um they they'll put you in a position to kind of make calls the most important thing so you might be on the decks as an fsa working with for somebody like me um and you'll have plenty of time to work on calls but your chain of command might put you in a position where you're standing a UI and they're pushing you to get qualified because the watch bill needs you right now. Oh my God. And, uh, they're more worried about that and the watch bill support than they are about your dolphins and, and whatever else you got going on. So what you really need to focus on is just like getting your fish that part that you're worried about. Um, getting that done and this will translate to your division as well in your department uh, like especially for like nukes and stuff they have so many quals outside of dolphins that like dolphins almost there i i would say i think most nukes would agree that dolphins are kind of secondary to everything else but it's happening like in parallel so uh what you'll see when you're doing any qualifications on a ship submarine whatever is the more effort you put into it and i like real effort where you're studying you're walking around the ship looking for components and asking questions and they in the the senior sailors that are qualified that are the the smes that are going to be signing your qual card the more they see you out there working really hard trying to get your dolphins the more they're going to get behind you and push so it's very dependent on how much real effort they see you putting in like if you're staying up and you're oncoming a little bit and you're always running around asking questions and and getting checkouts and working with people and helping other non-quals and all those other things. Like the more they see you around the submarine, the more those people are going to conspire to help you because the, all those salty second classes are going to see you. And then they're going to talk to each other and be like, Oh, Hey, this guy came to me and extremely prepared for this checkout and was constantly asking more questions even after the checkout was over. And they're always running around the, like the machinery room or torpedo room or wherever, like looking for components and trying to learn new things and whatever. So that's going to spread really quickly. Like they're going to be all sitting around when they're burning a flick on the Mastex or whatever, talking about like those kinds of things or when they interact with you or whatever, like those conversations are going to come up and they're going to talk about you as one of the non-quals that is working really hard to get their fish. And you'll see them once in a while. One of those guys will just grab you and drag you into their space and start teaching you something, which is not normal. Like normally they're going to make you work for it and get in the book and learn the drawing and everything else. But if you especially if you can draw something, if there's a, a drawing that's applicable, they're going to just drag you in there because you're one of the ones that's on like the you're on a hot, the hot running list because you're ahead in, on the qual you're being tracked on. And, and they're going to just see you and know that you're one of the ones that gets it. And is working really hard towards that qualification. So they're going to drag you in there and just teach you things because they want to help you. And so you're going to see that uh, happen the more effort you put in. So it, it kind of depends on you. You control a lot of it. Um, 
the the junior enlisted that are the fully qualified folks that are going to sign most of your qual card and even the chiefs like because a lot of there's supervisory quals and stuff like that you're going to see that stuff happen with them too like they're going to notice and or they're going to be told by those salty second classes and the lpos like hey this guy getting after it constantly up doing quals whatever so you control a lot of it by the amount of effort and enthusiasm you put into it and i hope that answers that question but uh yeah you it's don't worry too much about it. It, it, It's definitely the thing you're going to spend the most time on. Uh, The quicker you get it done, the less painful your life's going to be during the first year, year and a half on the submarine. So, but yeah, the, the more effort and enthusiasm you put into it, the, the, the more support you're going to get. Awesome. The next question comes from local uh, community server dad, RMFN. I'm going to go ahead and unmute him if you'd like a chance to answer or ask this question out loud. He he muted himself. Uh, okay, uh, so no, just read it. That's fine. <laughs> so his question is, as United States as United States Navy master chef, can you outcook Gordon <laughs> Ramsay's mom? Sorry, say that again? Something he about said, Gordon Ramsay's mom? Yeah, as a United States Navy master chef, can you outcook Gordon Ramsay's mom? I have no idea if Gordon Ramsay's mom can even cook, so I'm not sure. Probably not. Uh, Gordon Ramsay's a bad dude. I've followed his career quite a bit. I've read his autobiography. Uh, less of a fan of the Hollywood side of him, but um, as far as like, if you get there's a documentary out there about his early career and how he learned how to cook and stuff like that, and that is uh, a bad dude. So I don't know, but I, as for his mom, I, I don't know. Maybe like, can she cook? I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm definitely out of practice. I've been more on the administrative side for a long time, but I got a couple of moves. I make pretty good donuts. All right. Um, that's good. Uh, we got another question. I'll let Grace, can you take this one? Yeah, right on. Am I asking a Grimm's question? No. Uh, an Aclagon. All right. Uh, so um, this is one of our new uh, ensigns on board here. So, hey, Master Chief, love the podcast and thanks for doing this. Uh, what is your personal conception of the difference in duties, responsibilities between a divo and a division chief? Where do you mm-hmm. like to have the boundaries between divo and chief in a healthy division? And uh, I've asked this to a few other officers and chiefs now. I always get different answers because it seems that every divo chief relationship is unique in its own way. Uh, I would agree with that statement. It's def- it's unique, but it's not. Uh, there are definitely things that are going to be the same all the time, um, but it, it's more like the idea of that relationship and kind of the where the, the boundaries are are going to be really similar, and, and the goals are definitely going to be pretty much the same. Um, but obviously, unique personalities in those relationships are going to be a lot different because you might have a brand new chief and a division officer that is an LDO and it's like, okay, that relationship is going to be a lot different or even like I just, I did an inspection recently with a supply officer that was an LS one for nine years. So she's a different, a whole different case than a brand new supply officer at a supply, supply core school. So um, they're all unique for sure. But the general construct uh, for me is when I'm looking at it, one of the smartest things uh, an officer has ever said to me is that the relationship that I have with a junior officer is a relationship that chiefs are going to have in about 15 years with a, a prospective commanding officer. The more things I can build into that J.O. early and the more 
um, like prepared I can make them and the more uh, and really them walking away with a positive view of Chiefs is uh, is a big one, too, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point with uh, same thing applies to junior sailors. But I want that that junior officer to walk away from our relationship thinking they can trust Chiefs and not just me. Right. Like all of them, because. I'm going to leave a mark. Right. And there's, I know a lot of officers that um, I've had conversations with that kind of looked at me like, well, you're different. And it's like, well, that's, that's disappointing that you think I'm different because you had really negative interactions with chiefs early on in your career. And I've had a commanding officer that didn't trust chiefs. Like, and at some point along his way, he was burned in a relationship like that. And it may have been as an apartment or Devo or whatever, but for me, that's a huge part of it is that I'm, teaching a, a future CEO how to how to lead how to manage how to do those those things because that a line officer division officer because you have like the supply officers and everything else um, they're going to have a different career path but those line officers one I, the expertise part is important but it's not everything because they're not staying in that lane they're going to go maybe be a divo somewhere else like on submarines it's like hot potato like the, you, you see a divo go to three or four different divisions uh, and then maybe they're the A eng before they leave, and then they go do a department head tour XOCO. But um, they're not going to stay in that lane. So it's more I'm teaching leadership management. I'm teaching them how to interact with senior officers, how to interact with chiefs, how to interact with the crew, to to do those things to to prepare them to be that leader when they move on. But they're moving on to be more of a like strategic, big picture level leader as they progress not uh somebody that's going to be in the weeds micromanaging right like there's there's definitely boundaries that i spent a lot of time on where um like you're telling me which way to go and i'm the one figuring out how to get there and so that's the conversations i would have with my supply officers like look i don't need you telling me the nuts and bolts and i definitely don't need you telling my junior sailors what to do with their time that goes through me that's my job like you tell me where we're going and even then with a with a division officer we're going to be having a conversation about that because i've gone there a whole bunch of times before and they probably haven't so there's a lot of conversations where it's like you know that thor meme where he's standing there next to the dude from uh guardians of the galaxy he's like they're talking about who's in charge and like me right you know oh yeah of course like you it, it it very much is that kind of relationship, even though that's uh, that's they're it's satire. They're kind of making fun of that concept, but the idea exists that it's like, like yeah, you're in charge, and I'm going to put you out in front of the group and support you in any way I can, so that the division looks at you as the leader of the division. And there's a, a lot of things that me as that chief needs to teach them, so that they can be taken seriously in that role. Because there's a lot of different like. Junior sailors aren't stupid. They know that the divo, it, it, like if they are just kind of letting the chief run it and just nodding and smiling, or if they're actually a, like a, the type of person that is taking any kind of control and being being the leader that they're supposed to be, right? And being useful in a lot of ways. And some of that is communicated to those junior sailors via like, is admin getting done? Like, is my leave getting routed up? Is is my eval getting signed on time? Because like, and and behind the scenes there's a lot that the chief does with with kind of sock puppeting that divo a little bit and just saying hey go do this go do like prioritize these things go do this go do that hey where is those where are those evals and it's I, like pushing them to understand what the important things are and why those things are important and honestly like i'm probably getting a little into the weeds because this is something that i think is not talked about enough between especially amongst chiefs where um i've talked about a ton of the podcast where 
like chiefs will get frustrated with how useless their their divo is and it's like well they're only useless because you're not doing a good job good enough job teaching them like that's our job as chiefs is to teach them how to be division officers and how to be good leaders speak and again like so that they then go on with a good taste in their mouth when it comes to chiefs and keep your mind out of the gutter everybody but also like the they're going forth to be commanding officers so we want them to be prepared to do that so that we're not sitting there groaning about how our CEO is making our life hurt all the time. Or, I mean, the next generation of chiefs that are working for that CEO. The, the one thing that I think is missed the most in this relationship is taking the time to sit down and explain things, which um, a lot of underdeveloped leaders will tell you isn't something that they need to do. But if you want to make the argument for not having to do that with junior sailors, I think you're wrong, but okay, great. But when you're doing it with a future leader, with somebody that that literally outranks you and, you know, is technically in charge, when you're having that conversation, like I, I need to spend a lot of time sitting down and explaining to this division officer, okay, this is why you need to prioritize these things. This is why these things are important. Um, this is how you go talk to the commanding officer or the department head about these things. And this is how you present your plan so that they take you seriously, so that you're prepared, et cetera. Right. So there's like going to be, a, there should be a lot of time spent explaining things in depth to this division officer because they're then going to, again, ascend up the ranks and be that next person. And so I want to put them in a, in a place where when they're then a department head, and I don't know how it, I know it progresses differently on surface shifts, but on submarines it goes, they do a divo tour, go do some shorty, and then come back and they're a department head. So um, when they're the department heads, like when they're the engineer and one of their divos is coming to them and briefing some maintenance item, uh, the more time you spend investing in their ability to brief that maintenance item as a J.O., so it's done correctly, right? But also so that they have a realistic expectation of what they're going to receive from that junior officer and the types of questions to ask. And then taking advantage of the leadership opportunity to then train that J.O. during that interaction instead of punch them in the face because they don't have the entire RPM memorized. It's like you're going to set everybody up for success long term, but you got to take the time to invest early and have the conversations with those officers and say, hey, this is how this happens. This is why this happens. But a lot of that, too. So like taking that punch in the face from a department head that doesn't know how to communicate, you can prep them for that, too. Like there's so there's so much there's so many conversations that need to be had in depth that it's like you're going to spend a lot of time talking to your division officer and like it, uniquely on submarines, the supply officer is both the department head and the division officer. So generally, I'll get a brand new baby ensign that is straight out of supply core school that's supposed to function at the level of an O3 department head also somehow because some genius decided that was a good idea. So you're trying to prep them for both and those higher level officers are trying to demand both of them. And it's like, they don't even have their dolphins yet. They don't know what their way around the submarine. So like it, my supply officer was not allowed to go anywhere without me if, until they were ready. You know, like it was because now you're expecting them to be a department head. So they're at like ops briefs, briefing part status on broken pieces of gear and all that. And it's just like, I'm going to be standing right next to you or I'm going to stand in front of you and I'm going to be the one talking to the angry engineer because they're not prepared to do that yet. And you're not going to run over my department head. So, sure. yeah, it's super important relationship. I, I, I don't want to take any more uh, time like going on about this because it's going to turn into a whole thing. But what would you um, do if you if you had uh, someone who was a junior officer that was being 
they weren't willing to listen. Like you talk about this relationship <laughs> where they are willing to listen, but what, what yeah. do you, how do you handle those that don't listen? Sure. Yeah. So um, it's, and, and might be a cultural thing, but I doubt it uh, on submarines. It's there. It's, it's, you kind of play on the idea that like, yeah, you're in charge, but not really. So like, if I light a JO on fire, it's, they can go tell the XO and the XO is going to be like, yeah, hey, well, what'd you do? You know, and it's like, um, so there's been a few times where I've walked into the XO stateroom and said, Hey, sir, I need you to talk to Lieutenant so-and-so because they're not listening and they need to. And it's like, if, if again, going back to the beginning, if you've, if you, that senior officer has been trained correctly and has learned their lessons along the way as well as a J owner department head and, and just figure some of it out themselves. Um, they're, they're pretty smart people. Uh, th- by the time you get there, when you go talk to the XO, um, the XO is going to listen to your explanation of it and be like, okay, I'll have a talk with them, you know, cause they understand that unless you're in a bad place where they got burned by chiefs and then that's another conversation. But yeah, it's, sometimes it's that sometimes it's like, I've closed the door behind mine and, and like, it started turned into a, like a senior subordinate conversation where I'm not going to do that in front of my division, but there's definitely times where I'm closing the door and having a disappointed dad talk with that, that officer about like, Hey, what do you, what do you not understand about this? Like my, because what's funny about it. And it, a lot of times it, it's very based on how you approach the conversation, because what's funny about it is all I'm, all I exist to do is make you look good in front of this group of people. So let me make you look good. I want to teach you all these things and I want to prepare you to do all these things. I'm not taking credit for any of it. I don't, I don't need a pat on the head. Like I'm trying to teach you how to do all these things so that when you interact with the XO or when you go do these things on behalf of the division that like you're doing them correctly and you're, you're representing us well and you're getting the things that we need from the people that we need them from. So it's like when you're having those conversations, like what other motivation do I have other than helping you even when I'm upset? So it's kind of framing the conversation that way with, with those JOs is like, Hey, what, like my only job is to prepare you for the next level and to make you a successful leader. So what, like, what do you lose by listening? You know what I mean? And, and, but there's times too where there's chiefs that, like I said earlier, aren't they don't take that that relationship seriously. A lot of times on submarines, like I said, they rotate a lot, so it's like ah, in three months I'm going to have another divo anyway. So they just don't spend the time investing into that relationship like they should. Um, and then that jo, it's kind of like ah, whatever. They just dismiss them or tell them they're idiots or or whatever. And so those officers then don't want to listen. And so that's kind of where you run into some of that. So it's like, hey, you, then you got to repair that relationship. And that's a kind of a different conversation, but um, yeah, it's, it's generally going to be either um, they got burned before or they came in thinking they knew everything and that coming in thinking, you know, everything on a submarine lasts about 10 seconds because the whole crew eats your soul and like corrects your worldview. Like if there's any nukes in the audience, like staff pickups find themselves in that boat quite a bit where they show up with more rank, but no fish. And then are suddenly getting face punched by all these junior people with a fish. And they don't know, they figure it out pretty quick that, um, I told the story before where like I had one brought to me by a, a fully second qualified second class, he's qualified lead ELT and everything. He's trying to tell this guy what to do with the daily work list. And he was a first class uh, staff pickup that, I mean, like ink was still drying on his checking sheet. 
And he brought her to me as a duty chief. And, and he's like, All right, what happened? And he's giving me this. Oh, I'm a first class petty officer in the United States Navy and blah, blah, blah. About, he told me to do this thing. And I told him no. And he told me to shut the F up. I'm like, well, okay. Uh, like, did he tell you to do something dangerous or unsafe or like illegal? Like, no. Okay, well, then shut up and go do it. Like, he knows what he's doing. He's trying to teach you how to be a better ELT. Just because he's got two chevrons doesn't mean he doesn't know more than you. And on submarines, it's like, he's qualified and you're not. So learn from the qualified guy. Like, be humble. Same, same thing kind of exists in, in that realm where, like, you know, there's, like, Naval Academy graduates get, get stereotyped. I've worked with a ton of awesome ones. But once in a while, you get somebody, and it's generally personality-based, not Naval Academy, but that kind of that, that, uh, that stereotype, you get that type of an officer that shows up and just thinks they're thinks they're amazing already or they might might have been prior enlisted for five minutes and so that gives them some kind of credibility or, or like street cred that they they think they have but they don't really i don't know but um it's usually self-correcting on submarines on surface ships i'm not real sure but it's it's a pretty easy thing to overcome when you approach it from that that perspective is like look i'm here to help you all i'm trying to do is help you so why would you, why would you fight me on that? You know what I mean? And, and instead of trying to like, just bully him into submission by telling him like, I'm your chief and you will listen to me. Like, when does that ever work with anybody? So, yeah. Um, a next question. And I technically skipped over this by accident as a member of a small rate community. Um, and I'll, I'll just say that there, there's a CTI. What advice can you give new accessions on how to navigate a small community where it's almost guaranteed that you'll work side by side with the same people you like and dislike for the entirety <laughs> of your enlistment? Um, so, yeah, submarine community is small, but it's probably not that small. Um, I would say, like, it, the way that I look at things is if you're, if you're really putting honest effort into things and your your goals are are focused on the right things like you're really there to like help people out and just execute the mission and do whatever you can to to help other people towards that end you know what i mean like if you're if your motivations are coming from a good place and you're a person that can be trusted and you demonstrate that through action and not just through things you say right um, you're generally not going to have a problem. Uh, and some of that, it'll take some time to navigate the, a lot of times new accession guys can't separate what's personal and professional. It makes it really difficult uh, for them to deal with the, some of the professional aspects of it, especially when it's negative or you're getting some kind of criticism or uh, getting pushed to do a thing that is outside your comfort zone or whatever. Like a lot of people take, criticism and and feedback personally like it's a personal attack on your character or that we don't like you or or whatever i had a a supply officer that just for the life of her she was amazing really intelligent um but she could not separate personal and professional like ever she thought everybody hated her the ceo and xo were out to get her and i was just trying to convince her that that wasn't the case like they're trying to make you better they're trying to to teach and, and like their their approach probably wasn't the best but um they definitely didn't hate her like they thought she was great um with new accession sailors that can be the same and it's just a maturity thing like you're, you a lot of a lot of new sailors are around the the age of 18 19 years old and you haven't had to uh deal with some of these things in this type of an environment to be able to separate those two things out so i think that's a a good thing to focus on is is figuring out like 
uh, do you have a personal problem with somebody or do they have a professional criticism of something you're doing? And then a lot of times, this is one of the things that and I, this environment is, is good for it too, even though you guys are a lot nicer than Reddit. Um, <laughs> when I first started posting the podcast on Reddit, the, all the mods warned me. They're just like, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, like I got thick skin. I'm like, they're not going to run me out of here. But, um, the type of feedback you get on Reddit is just brutal sometimes. And there's definitely good stuff too, but uh, there's people that just go in on you and they're just flaming you the whole time. And even in that, there's some goodness. Like if you can detach from, from somebody telling you you're like the worst thing that's ever been like, I was, I'm a mass chief now. I was senior chief then, but like, like I'm an easy target and I know it, you know, like I go into an environment like that and I'm talking about leadership development stuff. It's like, Everybody assumes they know who I am before they listen to the podcast just because I'm in the chief's mess. And it's like, look, I get it. I understand what I represent and I'm working to fix some of the negative aspects of that. But um, I know that uh, going in that they're going to have that view of me. So if you can detach from that and understand that, well, they don't hate me. They hate chiefs. Well, why do they hate chiefs? And then you're able to have that conversation like when you go, even when you go into something where it's a negative interaction and you genuinely think somebody has a personal problem with you. Okay. Like, well, what do they really have a problem with? Cause they don't really know you personally, even though they're deciding to, to treat it like a personal problem. So what do they actually have a problem with? Is it my work performance? Is it like the way that I talk or communicate? Is it something else? You know, like try to try to take from all those interactions, even when it's somebody that you hate, right. That has some negative criticism of you. Like, what is it? Like maybe they just are jealous because you're outperforming them and you're putting in like honest, earnest effort and it's getting recognized. And it's like those kind of things, like I ignore, like you, there's always going to be people like that that exists. Like I promoted really quickly uh, through probably chief, even senior chief, you could say it was a little, a little earlier than, than average. And there, the whole way up, there was a whole bunch of people trying to tear me down all the time just because they wanted what I was, what I was getting, right? Like they wanted the recognition and validation of the things that were happening, but they didn't want to put the work in, right? Like they didn't want to do the things that you needed to do to get promoted quickly. And I, I was doing those things and uh, losing a lot of sleep and not having a social life half the time. So it's like, they didn't want to make any of the sacrifices, but they wanted the recognition. And so as a result of not being willing to put that work in, they're going to attack me because, well, why isn't that me? That should be me. I want those things but they know they're not willing to put the work in. And so they're just going to like lash out. So those types of people, I just ignore um, as hard as it can be. Sometimes it's like those, you're going to gain nothing by like engaging in the types of interactions you probably want to with people like that. It's like, just don't waste the energy. Um, but those are, those should be pretty, you're not interpreting it as a personal issue when it's not trying to communicate to you um, like after you get over the emotional piece of it, cause that's like, even when, when I do podcasts, I'm pissed about always, there's really it, it, something I try to let myself spin down for a couple of days before I record anything, because I don't want to react emotionally. I want to see clearly and make sure I understand it fully. And was my emotional reaction even justified? So when you're in those types of environments, like it's, you know, and I, I recommend like, and it, it's, People kind of laugh at me sometimes, but because Jocko Willink has this persona as being this like meathead that does jujitsu and that's about it. Um, but leadership development books, like the first one I hand out, it's called Extreme Ownership. Uh, it's Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. Uh, incredible book. And he talks a lot about that kind of stuff, like being able to t detach from a situation, view it from that detached like point of view 
and you're going to see a lot more things in your field of view than you did before when you can like calm down, detach emotionally and just be like, what's really happening here? You know, like, why is this person talking to me this way? Or why does this person providing this criticism or feedback that I don't like, you know, like, oh, I don't like it because there's a weak area that I, I need to plug up. Oh, okay. And then you can kind of go that route and deal with that thing. Um, and then just understand too, like the, the construct of your community, it is what it is. You know, you're going to have to deal with these people. So invest in those relationships, you know, because if you're planning on making this a career, you're going to run into these people again, at least some of them and some of them you're not going to like. Um, so prepare for that, like try to form relationships with them, even if you don't like them, because you don't have to like them again, personal, professional, like you don't need to be their friend outside of work to work well with them. There's tons of people that I work really well with that I don't want to see outside of work. And it's just a thing that you understand is necessary to be able to successfully navigate that space. Like your life's going to be better. You're, you're going to be less stressed about work. You're going to enjoy work more if you can form relationships with these people at work where you work really well together. And then if it develops in a personal friendship, hey, great, that's bonus. But take the time to invest in those relationships, knowing that you're going to encounter these people later, because if you don't and all you're doing is burning bridges, when you become a leader, it's going to be really hard to get the things done that you need to get done because people are going to be like actively fighting against you or at least like not going out of their way to help you. And that's not what I want. You know, like I, I don't want, I'm not here to win a popularity contest, but I also understand that if I need to get something done for my junior sailors, I need people to want to help me. And so when I go to another chief or another whoever, and I ask for a thing to take care of my sailor, it's like everybody's human. So it's like the more they like me, the more robustly they're going to want to respond to that request. Right. And I want it like yesterday. I want it as fast as I possibly can get it to help my people out. So yeah, I mean, take, take that into account, like recognize that those relationships matter. And while they can be just professional, like you're, you know, going into it, that this is how it's set up. So you know that you're going to have these, these interactions happen again, and it's going to be at an elevated pay grade, right? So like you get into some beef with like a guy that's the same rank as you now, and then that person gets promoted a few times and then they're your LPO at the next job. Whoops. You know, like that might hurt. So, and also the last thing I'll say about it is understand people, uh, people change like, and I don't mean like their entire character changes, but people mature, people learn. Right. Um, when I was a second class, I could make you a, a list of junior sailors that wanted to smother me with a pillow. Right. But now I think I, I could make a longer list of people that don't. So it's like, just understand that like they're the people that you might be working with now as a junior sailor. They're all going to mature with you. They're all going to learn with you. They might inc encounter a mentor that uh, that corrects their worldview on the, some of the things that you hated about them. So give them the benefit of the doubt going in, right? Like judge people on what they do, not on what uh, they said five years ago. Or so like, let's say you're encountering a person that you didn't like going into your next duty station that you worked with five years ago. And a bunch of other people are saying negative things about them. Maybe they're saying it based on interactions they had years ago. Like, like keep it in the back of your mind somewhere, but go into it detached and judge that person on how they behave and interact with you because you might be surprised. You, those people might be uh, saying negative things about them, like kind of how I mentioned earlier, like maybe that person turned, or, turned it around and snapped out of it and matured and now they're lighting the world on fire. 
And so those people are just jealous of their performance and the things that that are happening, recognizing that performance. And when you interact with this person again, you're going to be like, oh, wow, you're awesome. Because people change, people mature, people learn. So keep that in your mind, too. It's, it's that these aren't going to be the same people, even though like it's the same human being, like they're not in the same place. They have matured, they've learned. So they they might not be you might not have the same relationship. You might go into it and you guys might be best friends like after hating them on your, on your first, uh, your first tour. So keep that in mind as well. Thanks. So the next question we have here is, um, another one that's actually more serious from our server dad, RMFN. Awesome. Said, Master chief. I'm taking another question. A lot of junior enlisted like trust in their senior leadership and do not feel sufficient trust to report when misconduct occurs. And it only takes one breach of that trust, just, uh, sorry, one breach of that trust for not just the member affected, but for everyone within earshot to also lose trust in their chain of command. A lot of people arrive to this scenario, sorry, a lot of people arrive to this very scenario when they reach their command. My question to you is, how do you regain the trust of the crew and handle their issues and reports? Man, learn to use a period in your sentences. How are you in Ellen? <laughs> Maybe they're just bad at typing. Um, <laughs> so I would say um, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, I, I, like the part where I need to answer a question, I think, is the how do how do we regain trust? Um, it's so it's it's interesting because it depends on who we are, right? Like so if the if the CO has lost the faith and trust of the crew, yikes, right? Like it's, it's definitely not a thing a, a chief's mess can fix. Like we can mitigate it, right? If like the chief's mess is strong and then it's like the a, a representative in the triad maybe that, that isn't because I've been in that scenario where um, I had a, a, so on submarines, the CMC, we call him the chief of the boat, uh, real weak and, and like, I mean, to the point where, it was me and a, another department chief were kind of fill, literally filling the gaps, like all hands quarters. He just didn't show up. <laughs> we're like what? <laughs> and I'm like, I had just checked in, and uh, they put me back. So I was like, "Hey, you're gonna run all hands quarters?" I'm like, "I guess." Like, what do I have a choice? And I don't even know the crew's names yet, and I'm in front of the crew acting like I'm the cob. So, um, definitely, like, it, you, you go out of your way to. Uh, let the crew know that like without overtly saying, Hey, the cop sucks. We know you kind of go out of your way to let the crew know that, okay, I, we know you can't go to him, but you can come to me. Um, as far as it, it's more of like a broader picture thing, like chief's mess, regaining the trust of, of sailors in general. It's like, it's a hard thing because I think it, it's, top-down change is required like like institutional level change i talk about it a ton on the podcast that there's there's just things built into our foundation that shouldn't be um that i think allowed us to get to a place where ego plays way too big of a role in in what it means to be a chief even though we talk about humility all the time and we talk about like sailors are the mission and stuff like that it's like those two things conflict and, and anytime those two things are conflicting inside of a, a human being, I think ego is always going to win. But um, it's something that I think, so when there's chief's misconduct, so if we're talking about it being a chief of at any level, 
uh, within a command saying something, doing something, whether it's something that like manifests as like NJP or court martial and it's on the cover of the Navy Times or it's just something within the command where they're like voicing an opinion or they just aren't taking care of sailors in the way that they should be or whatever. And, and as a result, sailors aren't comfortable reporting misconduct. Like there's a couple of things I'll say It's like one, that mess should self-correct if they're doing their jobs correctly. And a lot of times you're not going to see or know that it even happened except by hopefully uh, either altered behavior in that chief that was the, the person offending, you know, like the, the one that was doing the, the, the wrong thing or um, by virtue of the fact that one day they're just not there anymore. <laughs> um, I, I always err on the side of like, hey, just tell them what happened. You know, I always err on the side of transparency because in the absence of it, all the junior sailors just make up their own narrative about like what actually happened. And generally it's not quite as an affair. It's not as bad as the narrative that sailors plug that gap with. So it's like, why don't we just tell them like, who cares? Uh, tell them what happened and that this sailor got detached for cause and, and whatever. Um, too often. And generally when it gets to an administrative level, you'll see something, you'll see some generic blurb in the plan of the day or something that says, Hey, an E seven was taken to NJP for this thing. And this happened, but you don't know exactly what happened. I'm a bigger fan of, um, like I tell a story about, and this was a long time ago. So it's, it's even more unique because it happened probably in 2007, maybe. Um, a chief got a DUI in, in the area that I was working in and they put him in a theater at an all hands call in front of every sailor they could pack into this theater and made him like talk to them about what he did, why he did it, how he felt about it, the punishment that happened, like both like professionally in the Navy and like outside civilian where he's like paying all this money and doing all this stuff. Like they wanted the, all the junior sailors on base to know that like, Hey, when a chief screws up, like not only do they get punished, but like you kind of get into that, like, well, we hold them to a higher standard. Like, and this guy like got held to a higher standard. Like he was, I mean, it probably, that was probably the worst part for him. Like he had to stand in front of that group of people and like bear everything while wearing his khakis, which I thought was appropriate. Like you don't, there's two sides to this, right? You don't get to, preach all these things to all these people and not live them. And then when you're caught in a human moment, not have to be held accountable for that. And I don't just mean like administratively and then everybody doesn't get to know. And, and we kind of like, that's more of the sweeping under the rug that people kind of see happen. It's not that nothing happened. Like a lot of these guys or girls, right? These chiefs that are, are misbehaving, they end up with like a punitive letter of reprimand in their record that like, they're never going to get promoted again. Uh, they probably got money taken away, but like you don't see any of that, even though it's happening. And that's a problem, right? Because that does exactly what you described in your question, right? It, it takes a bunch of trust and faith away from that relationship between everyone, junior sailors, officers, everyone, and the chief's mess. With this guy having to stand in front of that group of people and own it in his khakis, it like it did the the shame he felt and the embarrassment and everything that came along with that, I thought was appropriate but more so the because then he comes off stage and you got to kind of hug him tell him good job and and like i hope you learn from that and you have t productive conversations about why that was necessary and stuff like that so that I mean, you don't want to beat him down to a point that it, we have a different problem but the 
it's very, very important to humanize chiefs. And I, and I talk about this a ton on the podcast too, um, is we're not superheroes. And I don't know why anybody thinks that we need to portray ourselves as some kind of like infallible leadership, like, uh, exemplar. Like I, uh, sure. Is it the goal to be like this, like fountain of wisdom and all the stuff you hear in all the speeches? Yeah, sure. Great. But understand that these are all flawed human beings filling these roles. Like, so, and it's not a secret to anyone. And, and I mean, the best bullshit detector on planet earth is a, is a smoke pit full of E4s and E5s, man. And so like you, you try to peddle that crap to the people that you're trying to build a relationship of of faith and trust with so that you can lead them towards the direction of mission accomplishment. Like it's not going to work. Number one, it could be like number two, they're, they're very adept at understanding that what's true and what's not. So when we're standing there saying like, Hey, you can trust us. Like, and then we behave the opposite. They're not going to try. You you guys aren't going to trust us. So it's, it should be a really simple thing to understand. And I, I have trouble with why it's not that like, it's okay for your sailors to think you're a human being. I've never had more success than when I had a very human relationship with my sailors. And what I mean by that is, is there's a line, right? Like that good order and discipline line that has to be maintained where I'm not going out drinking with my division and I'm not like, uh, we're not doing anything inappropriate. Um, and, and I went out of my way to do things like that, to just make sure they understood that that line was still there. Like, um, so even stupid stuff. Like I wouldn't let them add me on Facebook until after the, either they or I transferred. And now there's like a DOD instruction that says that's a policy and all this other crap. But I think it's more for students. But anyway, um, it's it's you get into this weird spot where it's the unduly familiar thing that it that actually matters. However, that doesn't mean they can't be familiar. Like that doesn't mean that I don't want to know their kids names and I don't want to know what they do on the weekend. And I don't want yeah, like I want them to have conversations with me, but I also want them to when they're have a, an issue with their wife and they were drunk and they did, made some good decisions, and this is a real story, and called a friend who picked him up and brought him to work to get him out of that situation, but he showed up smelling like booze to work, unshaven, looking like, sh- looking like crap, and my LPO put him in the dry storeroom and came and got me. Like, how many, how many sailors are going to be comfortable doing that and thinking that I'm not going to come in there with the report shit? Pulled me in there and I, okay, what happened? And I already knew this kid's background, like that him and his wife were having issues. And it was like at work, he was amazing, but he'd go home and they would have an argument and he would get drunk and then do something stupid. This time he got drunk, but he made some phone calls and got taken out of the situation. But he also showed up to work drunk. And so it's like very easily could have dropped an anvil on this kid's head, but I didn't. I like, okay, stay in here. Like, did we just like basically sobered him up in the storeroom? talked about it, made sure he had everything he needed and moved forward. So like you could, you could post a poll in a chief's group and ask if I was wrong about that. And you'd probably get more yeses than no's. However, that kid trusted me and had more faith in my ability to lead him. And that just that I had his best interests at heart. Like if I'm, if I'm doing anything, I have to be doing it with that in mind. Like Am I doing what's in their best interest? Yes or no? That's the first step on the flow chart. So if I, you know, could I have used that mechanism? Sure. In another case, would I have? Maybe. It depends. Like if he showed up drunk because he was 
like an alcoholic and we had tried every other step to take care of this kid and we just got to the point where, okay, accountability is going to happen and that's where we're at, then yeah, it's a different, you're taking a different path. But with this kid, it was just the type of situation where I made the judgment that it no value would be added to his life, to my life, to the Navy's mission accomplishment, to anything. This kid was better in the Navy than out of it. I just needed to figure out how to address the other problems that he had so that all his needs are met and he's focused on mission accomplishment instead of focused on the problems he has in his personal life. So um, kind of with that in mind, it's like, I, I think that humanizing chiefs is okay because like I, I went with him to every one of his court dates, um, talk to him about it. He could call me whenever he wanted. Like I, I deal with a sailor right now going through a nasty divorce and he's like, he's mine, but he's not like he didn't, he worked sort of for me like in the same office and, um, I mean, I've been on the phone with this kid for probably a total of 15 hours in the last week, just listening, talking him through stuff, like giving him life advice. Cause I've been through it too, like that kind of stuff. But like, do I have to do that? No. Should I? I think so. And I think that you get to this place where it's just a human relationship, man. Like I'm just interacting with this person the way that I would interact with like a member of my family or a really good friend while the understanding is still there that, yeah, I'm, I'm master chief and, and he's this second class, right? It's I'll still go out of my way to help this kid out. And there's no reason why I can't do both. And I think that's what gets lost. A lot of the time is everybody goes high into the right with this. I got to stay way on the other side of this line or behind this door and in the mess and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's like, no, like you have that private space for a particular reason, but you shouldn't be hiding in there. And, and the, there shouldn't be this like veil of secrecy and all this other crap that people talk about. Like that shouldn't exist. Like you want to come in the mess, knock on the door, come in. Like I had freaking door should be open during business hours anyway, as far as I'm concerned. But I think that there's a lot that can be done to humanize chiefs so that we're just sailors. It like almost like I've interacted with a lot of army, Marine Corps and air force. and there's different like versions of this, but it's not nearly as bad. And f- especially with the Marine Corps and the army, I think are, are the best at the, the separation doesn't really exist. Like the respect for the position and rank does, but like they're, they're all doing the same job. We're in the same uniform. And so it's a lot easier to not lose that trust. If you have a good NCO, you know, it's like, I think we need to work on that a lot. Um, hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> It's kind of a long one. I think it does. Uh, I got another question here from Diplominator. Hi, Master Chief. Uh, Thanks for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. So far, it's been going well. Um, My question is, what do you think of some communities changing their warfare specialist program um, from less of like a foundational requirement to an E5 plus sort of thing? I know allowing anyone to get their fish or maybe strongly encouraging it, it seems to be working for subsurface, but is that because of the, like the nature of subsurface or is the, that way actually better, better meaning, I don't know, like a more knowledgeable force overall or the pin meaning something take that as you will, I guess. But yeah, I, so I hate it. Um, and, and I, when I'm directing that hate at is the, the way that, uh, other warfare communities do it by making it that type of a requirement that you described. So I think, um, 
The reason it works on submarines is, um, one, it is a foundational requirement. It's required. You will not, if you go greater than, I believe, 14 months now, I'd have to check the book, uh, greater than 14 months during your first submarine tour without uh, attaining your dolphins. And, and there's like remediation stuff, like um, you'll get a couple of opportunities to board for your fish, stuff like that. But like if you completely wash out and you cannot earn your dolphins, you leave the submarine community permanently. So it's it's a hard and fast requirement during your first tour on a submarine that you thou shalt get your dolphins. So I think that's part of the reason it works is it's understood going in, uh, that it's, it's a requirement, um, that we take really seriously, but we take it really seriously because in the submarine community there, the lines blur a lot between rates and stuff. So like we joke like yeah i'm a stew burner and that's what i do but i also stand diving off to the watch which is the most senior listed watch station on the submarine even though nukes will argue with engineering watch supervisor they'll also lose um <laughs> i love nukes but uh, i had to get that in um but it's it's so it's like there's a lot of blurring between lines where like we don't have d seamen on submarines we fight all the casualties it's like flooding fire everything like we we go there and we do the thing we put on ffes and scvas and so there's that part of it as well, where there's this understanding that like you're a submariner first, so you need to be able to fight the ship. Like if I'm in the machinery room doing something and, and a piece of gear bursts into flames, I need to know where the nearest 4MC is. I know, need to know where the nearest fire hose is. I need to know how to use it. Uh, I need to know how to properly call the thing away on the 4MC. I need to know where to secure things. I need to know where emergency flood control is to keep the water out of the people tank if something starts flooding, right? Like on and on it goes. So there's a lot of of focus put on the damage control aspect of it as well because the lines blur so much on submarines um and then the the last part of it is like the there's a heritage piece to it where like you could see pictures of of eugene flucky wearing his dolphins um jimmy carter dolphins right like there's a there's a lot of significant figures, not just in naval heritage, but in like U.S. history that were submariners that you go back to World War Two. You see the guys that like it used to the warfare pin used to be a sleeve patch on the dress blues uh, for enlisted. And so like and I got a case of them here in my office right now that I collect all like the deep wave dolphins and the patches and all that stuff. So there's a lot of heritage behind it that we take very seriously. You walk into any submarine base into like the command building or some of the other buildings, you're going to see submarine metal of honor winners on the wall. I guarantee it. Like there's going to be picture frames and all the submarine metal of honor winners are going to be on the wall. And uh, that's a big part of it too. I think is that it's, it's been built into our community for so long that there's this rich heritage there. And so it's like, it means a lot to, to the people that earn it. And it, that, that importance has like stuck in the community for a really long time. Like when you go down onto a submarine, like every submarine takes that thing really seriously. And so it's like, you you grow up in a community where, uh, everybody takes it very seriously and, and you're, you're taught and indoctrinated into that culture when you first show up that how big of a deal your dolphins is. So when it, and it's really hard because you're trying to stay and watch and you're, or you're FSA and, or you're doing whatever, and you're trying to do quals and you're trying to qualify these watch stations. And it's just like, but during that first 12 months, approximately like some get it faster, some take a little bit longer and get in, even get another remediation piece, but they still end up earning them. Um, it, when you finally earn it, it's like this, it feels like a gigantic achievement. Uh, and it is. And so I think that 
when they when they started talking about a lot of this, this went back to when Rick West was Mick Pond, I think. When they and I, they might have had conversation before that, but that's when I remember it. Is is I think he's the guy Mick Pond that like made it a requirement for E fives. And what he was trying to work towards was trying to inject some of that stuff that he saw work in the submarine community into the rest of the Navy. Um, the reason I hate that it's like this later requirement or not a requirement at all in some communities is like you, the whole purpose of it in my mind, and this is obviously biased from a submariner's perspective. This is how I view warfare pins because this is how dolphins were for me is whatever we're talking about. It's like, it should be focused on your war fighting specialty, right? So if you're an Airedale, the like earning your your air pin should be like a really deep dive on how to be the best like aviation war fighter you can possibly be in the capacity that you're doing it, right? Um, when we start getting shot at in in where like wherever we are right you think about like what's the manifest destiny like what's the purpose of the united states military and so what's the purpose of the navy it's to kill people and break their stuff right like it's we exist to fight wars so when that actually happens are we going to be ready to do that like are, are we going to be in a place where we're out there getting after it doing great things and we're able to fight hurt and we're able to like repair the ship combat casualties do all the things we need to do to apply the the tools that we have at our disposal uh, disposal to like fight a war and and win it or are we going to be in a place where everybody's trying to figure out what to do with their hands because they're not familiar with anything but their exact like specialty in their small worldview right like i don't want and like i on my submarine i'd have logistics specialists that could like break you out all the parts and do all the logistics things and order you all the things that they needed and then they could also go up to control and drive the submarine and they could do that when there's flooding. They could do that when we're getting run over by a ship. They can do that when we're evading torpedoes. Like they can, they know what they're doing. They could lose propulsion. They could lose uh, like hydraulics. So now they got to do stuff manually and they know how to shift all their gear. So it's like there's things that I think we can and should do a lot better because I, I think that we don't spend enough time thinking about like what's going to happen when we start getting shot at. And that's it's a very real possibility in the world we live in that we're going to be in a shooting war in our lifetime. I might not be my naval lifetime, but it, it's probably going to be some of your lifetimes. And so when we get to that place, are we going to be ready to do it? Um, for those of you that listen to the podcast, there's this uh, BMC named Jason Thompson that I talk to a lot. And one of the things he said to me was uh, he was there. Was, I think they were doing like map packages or something. And he kind of gave me an excerpt from the uh, package that he sent up about this BM2. And it wasn't like he wasn't doing bake sales and he, you know, he didn't have 10 collateral duties. But he said he when he was writing the, the write up for it, his thing was like, if we went to war tomorrow, this is the guy I'd want with me. And Jason Thompson's been to war. So like he knows what he's talking about. Um, and so it's. It's something that I think a lot of value would be added if the, all the other warfare communities applied it in a way that was very similar to the way submarines do it and took it that seriously. And I know, like, I've talked to some people on surface ships and they're like, yeah, well, our ESOS program is amazing. It's really difficult. And, like, they take it very seriously. And when you're done, you know how to fight the ship. And it's like, awesome. Is everybody doing that? I don't think they are because oh, no. I've heard... 
I've heard a lot more of, oh, it's a joke and you just run around and get your book signed and then learn just enough to pass an oral board and that's it. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's a, a mechanism that exists that we are not taking advantage of. And I think we're going to, we're going to regret it if we, if we ever find ourselves in a, in a shooting war, I think we're going to learn a lot of really hard lessons as a result of that. And I don't want to look backwards and wish we had done it. You know what I mean? So that's one of those things that like, I've always kind of been grossed out by the way that other, and it's not everybody. Cause like I've talked to some expeditionary guys, they take it very seriously. Seals obviously take it very seriously. Like there's other communities, EOD, that it's very similar. Like it, because it's what they do is so serious that I, how could it not be? But also so is what, so is what we all do. Right. Because in the event that, we're in a shooting war with a, a major state actor. It's like, yeah, guess what? <laughs> Everybody's job's going to get very real very quickly. Uh, and you're not going to be able to hide in the supply shack and just be an LS. That's not how the world's going to work. Um, we have a tie-in and, question uh, for this. Actually, it's kind of relevant. This one comes from IS3 text, and he says, my command is forcing me to get my surface pin before my IW pin. I feel like right now I should get my IW pin first because uh he's an is all right is he on a ship i would imagine so yeah yeah i mean if we're if we're assuming he's on some haze gray i and we're thinking about it like i just described it i would be i lean towards him getting his east first it'd be like him so if we had is's on submarines right and and they had an iw program it's like like, I get what you're saying, but think about what we're talking about, right? Like, do I want you to qualify your IS watch first? Sure. Yeah, I do. But I also want you to be working on your East West so you know how to fight the ship. Because if we find ourselves in a situation like it, guy, like sailors in quals for submarines, like they're not fully qualified, but they know how to do some stuff. And I've seen a seaman recruit that's been on board for three months and doesn't have his dolphins call away a fire appropriately and start the response that's needed to keep us from being in a really bad spot and so i would lean towards that because again not that the intelligence stuff isn't important but if you think about what's going to be the most important if somebody shoots a missile at your ship and it hits like what's going to be the most important is it going to be intel stuff not that that's not important but there are intel guys there that are qualified and gals right sorry pronouns um, there are people there fully qualified to do that job. You're getting ready to relieve them. And that's important. You, we want you to progress. We want you to qualify all those things. We want you to get your IW pin. So you're the best possible, uh, Intel guy in, that you can be. But if somebody shoots at your ship and it hits, what's the most important thing, right? And so for me, it's like on submarines, you get your dolphins first. Like that's kind of the most important thing. Do I need you to stand a watch right now? And are we getting shot at? No. So like you're doing them in parallel, but like if we're talking about a warfare pin, like which one do I want you to be working on first? If you're on a ship, I want you working on your ESWAS pin first. Again, looking at it through the lens of submarine dolphin, like procedure and, and kind of the way that we, you know, the way we treat it. I guess as an aside, he is an IS three and he isn't allowed to get his pin until he's an E five, but Oh yeah. yeah. I did not know that. I'm hoping there's a policy that if he did get his ship pin first, that he would be able to work on his IW pin. Yeah. And I mean, there's waivers for everything. I mean, a special request ship might solve that problem. I don't know what the instruction says, but, um, but yeah, I, 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 it's not a bad thing to get your IW pin at all. I think it's awesome, but 
like what where do i need you and what do i need you doing when stuff starts exploding like if you're if you're on a ship i need you doing that stuff so um interestingly yeah. i kind of could because it come from the intel community like and i I've, I've been deployed as well, as well on naval platform you should always know your job first so if you were right. going to war I would hope that someone knows the fundamentals and backgrounds of an IW program that's ran successfully so that mm. they could do their job to protect the ship right. from getting damaged, right? Like, cause IW is supposed to be, I mean, it's, it's, it's to the left and to the right of being hit, but right. prevent you from being hit. And therefore I would right. want to be kind of, qualified in their job and qualified IW, but yeah, it's, it's a, I, I guess when I, when you're saying qualified IW, I'm thinking of something separate from being qualified in your job. Cause like it is, it is. You're, yeah. So like you're working on a watch station in parallel with working on your ESWAS pin and then you work on your IW pin kind of thing, like where you, you will add value in the IW f- function, but you're, you're going to, I would assume. And again, I'm like, don't have a lot of experience with, with Intel stuff, but that like to qualify the most junior level watch that it's realistic that you'll stand to add value to that function uh in the same amount of time that it will take you to qualify eswas like are you going to are you going to qualify anything beyond the most basic watch station while you're working on that in that amount of time or you know what i mean like you're going to add some value by qualifying that first watch while you're working on your eswas pin and then you would progress to iw along with also qualifying more senior Intel watches. I don't, I, I think that's accurate in my mind, but I, I obviously don't know uh, with the Intel stuff, but Grace wanted to add that that was the reason for the changes. Priorities were reversed and IW was pushed as more important than mission calls. Yeah. That I, and that's not surprising to me. Uh, again, it might seem like it might seem counterintuitive in real life at that command because I mean, ESWAS might be treated like a thing that's a check in the box. So you're thinking to yourself, like, what am I getting from this? Like, what value does it add for me to have a pin on my chest when I didn't learn anything? Right. And that's a completely valid argument. But if the program was getting implemented the way I think it should be, I would say that that prioritization makes complete sense. I I don't know if it is. My suspicion is it probably isn't. So then it's kind of like, well, who cares? Just qualify your watch. Um, but it's like in my mind, if if we could get it to a place where that ESWAS program is adding a lot of value to being able to fight the ship in the analysis of all the officers and chiefs and whoever is on board, I think that it makes the prioritization makes sense. Cool. Um, the next question we see here is from an, an, uh, one of our newer ensigns. He says, if a division has a manning issue such as specific sailors are deemed irreplaceable to the division. Is that big Navy's fault for not giving you the personnel you need, or is it the command's fault for not training in a big enough bench to cover down for other sailors while they're absent? Maybe a mix of both. Thank you. Yeah, I would say maybe a mix of both. It's situational. Um, It's, I would say if you have, if you're in a place where somebody is, is irreplaceable, it could be because you like they're literally irreplaceable. Like I don't have enough bodies to fill all the spots. And th- so they're not irreplaceable because they're the only one that knows how to do a thing because we did a bad job of training a- a- everyone else and qualifying everyone else. Um, it's because we literally don't have anyone else. So it's that 
that's a, a big Navy Manning issue. Uh, it seems like everybody has problem problems with Manning. So uh, it wouldn't shock me if that plays a role almost everywhere. But the majority of the time, I would think that it's if you're in that place and Manning isn't like you're not crippled by uh, by not enough Manning, then we're not doing a good enough job training and qualifying because no one's irreplaceable. Is it is it nice to have some just like top shelf pipe hitting watch standard that's incredible at what they do? Yeah, no, it is. It's awesome. Um, but when we lose that person, does that mean we can't fight the ship anymore? It shouldn't. <laughs> so uh, if we're doing a, a, an appropriate job of training and qualifying our people, you'd be surprised at how quickly uh, someone with less experience takes that spot and all of a sudden they're that person. So, uh, and again, maybe not as good. Maybe their ceiling isn't in the same place, but they're still doing a great job and, and that's okay. Like you're not, it, it's a human organization. You're never going to have just top shelf, like 10 out of 10 people in every spot all the time. It's impossible. But are we training, qualifying them and, and progressing them to their ceiling? And then are, is the war fighting team progressing to their ceiling as well? Because that's something that we don't, we don't often talk about it, I, I think, where like, so it wasn't just, I didn't just have a, a helmsman and a planesman driving the ship, right? Um, which for those of you that don't know, it's like we got you know, stern planes or fairwater planes and, or sorry. And, uh, good God, I'm old and I can't remember the names of things, uh, <laughs> fairwater planes and bow planes and then stern planes, uh, and the rudder. Right. So it's the first one or either, or anyway, it makes you go up, down, left, right. And, and at puts an angle on the ship to help put it where you want it to be. But so they're driving the submarine, right? That they're not the only part of that ship's control team, right? So I have a chief of the watch on the left that's pumping ballast around the submarine and operating like alarms and the one I'm seeing all this other stuff. And then as the dive, I'm supervising the helmsman and planesman and chief of the watch and kind of telling him what I need to do to effectively fly the submarine underwater. So are we doing a good job of community? And then I have an officer of the deck behind me giving me orders and all kinds of stuff. So are we doing a good job of communicating? Are we working well together as a team? Am I giving them the things that they need to succeed? Are they willing to tell me like, Hey dive, I need, like, I think we're heavy forward. I need you to put some water aft so I can drive this thing better. So there's that as well. Um, the, the more we work on proficiency training qualifications and all that stuff. And the more time we spend actually working well together as a team, I think the better we are, um, for all the, eye rolls this will probably get if i have submariners in the audience is like they're the good commands that you see doing it doing a lot of like this type of stuff specifically well is is the type that stress like formal comms and uh watch team backup and and actually mean it like because some people say those things as buzzwords but uh on one of my submarines we called it peer-to-peer -peer enforcement basically watch team backup and it was like we created this culture where you had the ability to walk up to a senior chief and tell them their uniform was jacked up. And it was like, it became this thing. And I know that sounds stupid, but it became this thing like, yeah, got me, you know, like, all right. And then like you fix it, but we made it okay to do that. And by making it okay for uh, a junior watch standard to correct a senior watch standard or for uh, an officer to correct like a, a second class or whatever on those types of things, and, and provide the backup required during those things. Cause there's a lot of times I was, I was sitting in control stand and watch and I got a big mouth if it's not obvious. And when somebody said something stupid, I was always just like that. No, we're not doing that's not right. Like 
what are you trying to accomplish? And then like push back a lot. But I've watched a lot of watchstanders not do that. And I'm like, hey, are you sure you want to do that? Like, <laughs> you sure you don't want to do this? You sure you don't want to provide some back? Okay. Um, and then you find your, or we'll be in the trainer. That's even better where you're, you're, you're kind of setting people up to fail to see if they catch it and take the right actions and deal with the problem appropriately. And you're sitting there watching it happen. And you're like, John, what are you doing? You know, like, say this, say this, say this. And, uh, or do this or whatever. And they're like taking the inappropriate actions to deal with like a jam dive, which is when uh, the planes get jammed in, in dive and the submarine starts going down really, really fast and we can't control it because the planes are jammed. You know I mean? So it's, it has a very bad thing if you don't want to go beneath crush depth. So you have to do things. So there's immediate actions and all this crap you have to do to combat the casualty and recover the ship, like get control of it so that you're not going down anymore. Um, and so you watch people just like doing the wrong, and, like people panic. They don't communicate well. They don't do the things required to combat the casualty. And then when you're done, you're like, okay, so do we think formal communication is important yet? You know? So the, the people that do those types of things, right. Uh, are generally in a way better place because they're progressing all those watching to their ceiling. And then that ceiling, it like you add all those things together and you have a strong watch team because like, I'll know if I have a weak planesman, but so will everyone else in my watch section and they'll be watching that planesman to see when they need backup and they'll be going out of their way to, to like kind of nudge them or give them suggestions as we go or ask them what they need or whatever. Cause even the, the two plane surfaces, like, so one guy generally has the rudder uh, and the stern planes and the other guy's got the fairwater planes and, and two different sets of sticks. And so they're, they're working together. Like you're pr- putting lift on the submarine or putting dive on the submarine. And the, when you put the angle on, or when you, uh, when you're adjusting the rudder, that affects how the other planes behave. And then that affects how the submarine behaves. So does all the water we're pumping in and out, right? It makes it either negatively or positively buoyant. So that's going to then then speed and it's all, it all plays into it and it all affects how the submarine behaves. So if I need something, I need to say that. And so those planes been talking to each other, they affect each other based on what they're doing. So them talking to each other, them then talking to me and me talking to them. Hey, what do you need? Oh, it feels heavy dive. Can I get, can we pump some water off? And then I analyze and see, and okay, yep. Tell the chief of the watch to do that. Sometimes the chief of the watch who controls those pumps and those ballast tanks will anticipate my needs because I've got a finite amount of bandwidth too. And he'll either start doing something because he knows, or he'll say, dive recommend pumping variable ballast to see. And it's just like, gives me a, a, it flips a switch in my head. Like, Oh crap. Yeah, no, I am heavy. I need to do that. And like, then they'll do it. And I might've waited another few minutes to do that combating this problem that I couldn't figure out. And Oh crap, we were heavy the whole time. Well, if the chief of the watch sees that and knows, they can then tell me that. And hopefully that wasn't all too submarine specific. It was um, a little, um, no, sorry. I want to add, like, can I add my two cents? Is that, a yeah, absolutely do it. So uh, what, before I got out, um, I'm a veteran now I was an E six and I was, uh, I entered into uh, my command of this mission and, uh, I fell in love with the mission. I ended up becoming in charge of the mission and I was an E six there running the mission and kind of single handedly. I was like one of, two in, in the day shop, if you will. Mm-hmm. The other guy just kind of put together the weekly brief and that took him like the whole week to do, even though it was like two slides and then yeah. doing, like a hundred other things. And then we got a new chief. We didn't have one for a while. It was kind of weird. And then the chief is like, okay, 
you're clearly running everything. Who's your replacement? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I would love one, uh, but I haven't identified one. No one has been available. Like no one had interest to take over the position. So, uh, I mean, there's that perspective too. Like some people, in a sense, right? Like could be irreplaceable, but you know, you can force someone to train up to do it. Like I I did the best I I could to make like guides and. Right. uh, Which that's, that's super valuable. Like, like, um, continuity books, like, yeah, where you're like creating guides to do the things so that when you're gone, at least they have a roadmap. I did that. At, at, as yeah. as I could. Um, I, I would say, I'll do it, but you know, yeah. Yeah. I would say, um, like it, it happens, but it happens because we don't recognize cause a guy that, and I'm going to make some assumptions about you based on what you just told me is like a guy like you, who is probably like kind of a top 1% performer where you were taking on the lion's share of the work because you were capable of it. And because like, it's easy for all those people to just let you do it. It's easy for us to say, Oh, well we're good because he can do it. Like, and let that happen. But anticipating the need of, Hey, he's going to leave eventually. And we don't have another guy that can handle the workload that he's handling, even though it might not have been appropriate for you to put work in the first place. And they probably should have fixed that, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> we're, in this, we're in this place where that we're in. Right. So why didn't we like moneyball that stuff out to everyone else where it's like, yeah, we don't have one person that can do your 10 jobs, but we've got 10 people that can do one of those jobs and then making that happen so that when you disappear, it's like, we have one person trained to do one of those things across all 10 of those tasks. And we have the, the guides that he left behind. You should be in a pretty good place where the wheels aren't going to fall off the wagon. Is it going to get done as well as fast, you know, like maybe probably not, but like we're the wheels aren't going to fall off the wagon. Like the thing's not going to stop working and then we can work on increasing the quality and proficiency and everything else. But yeah, a lot of times with someone like you that is like got, 90% of the workload on your back, which should have never happened to begin with. But part of that was, was them doing a bad job of recognizing it. And part of it was probably just your ability kind of it, like it's the easy button. Like I, I'm guilty of it. I had an LPO on my last submarine where, I mean, I was standing eight hours to dive and control every day. And then I had a bunch of crap that happened afterwards. And then I was a drill guy and then I was the simio, and then I was the assistant ships diving officer, which is just another stupid clerical duty where I was writing and grading exams all the time. I was doing everything but my job for about 12 hours a day. And then they would get, my division would get my attention for maybe an hour. And it's like, so my LPO was effectively doing my primary duty, which is unfair to him. And he was staying to watch and he was, I mean, this kid was superhuman. And, um, I didn't want it to be that way, but it was just like, that's the that's kind of like how submarines go. It's like, I'm a senior chief on a submarine at the time. And, and it's, you get burned with all this crap. And part of it was because I could do it. And my cob saw I could do it. And I never like, he would just task me into, and I'd push back and be like, Hey, I kind of got a division to run. But that part of it was that on, and I know this is, probably relevant in other communities, but on submarines, I think it's, it's even worse is that like my job's not real on a submarine. Like no one cares if, if the meal's out and hot and it's not like the bread's not moldy, like they're not going to care about any of the things I have going on or what I need to do. So, um, I was often branded as like defensive and, and, uh, like just loud and obnoxious because you have to be to defend your people and not have them get put into a bad spot all the time because they don't think our job's real until it's lunchtime. Um, so it's, it's weird in that, like, 
I was put in that same spot and it was then I, by virtue of that, I had to put my LPO in that same spot. And so it's like, even I had a hard time figuring that out and, and we got it to a place where people started taking things off his plate as we got people trained up, but it was tough because he also had to do the training a lot of the times. Like I was trying to get free. Like I got off the watch bill for like a week at a time, twice during the entire time I was there, just fighting to get that time to go train other members of my division to take stuff off his plate so that he wasn't doing everything. Um, so I, I think it happens out of necessity sometimes because you have people that have the aptitude to do it and the thing needs to get done. So they just go do it. But then you find yourself in that in that hazardous space of when that person goes away and they will eventually, whether it's PCS or, or separating. And then it's like, oh, shit, now what do we do? You know, and it's like it, that's something that needs to be forecasted out. You need to plan for it and you need to understand that you might not have another Superman sitting on the bench. So you have to farm that stuff out and divide it up in a way that we can like moneyball our way to at least everything not being on fire. It's so funny you, you say moneyball because I had come up with a command project and they wanted to call it that. Nah, <laughs> I like it. It's great. Um, baby. The next question comes from somebody who is literally on an airplane right now who helped put this together. Uh, yeah. You can go ahead and unmute yourself. He's not sure if this is going to work, but he's yeah, he said he was going to get the airplane Wi-Fi, so we'll see. <laughs> I'll read your question, Dinah. Okay, I'm sorry. It. And you, it was like completely clear, and then we lost you. Propagation, am I right? <laughs> Signal propagation. Um, he says, Master Chief, what are some leadership experiences and tips you can give to an E5 in terms of leading fellow junior sailors and ways you can actually have an impact on those you lead while at a junior level yourself? Follow-up question. What is your opinion on mandatory warfare devices? You kind of touched on this. Is Ooh. there a point where they should become mandatory? Should they become completely voluntary? Uh, keep in mind, this is from an IW. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, this is coming from an IW perspective. Right. The level of impact that they should have on selection boards of any flavor, promotion, special programs, etc. Thank you. Uh, I'll just do the warfare piece first. I think they 100% should be mandatory and should happen in very much the same way they do on submarines. But I also think there's probably some that you could make exceptions for maybe. And I don't know that I'm qualified to make that evaluation as far as like some of them seem like they get specific enough that I don't know that they need to be mandatory. And I, I would, I, IW kind of strikes me as one of them, but I don't know, you know, like I don't know enough about it uh, to say either way. Um, there's some other like this, some other ones kind of like that I would think, but um but I don't know. I could be completely wrong about that. And it would fall into the, yeah, I think it should be completely mandatory for the, all the reasons I talked about earlier. Like I just, I think if they're implemented correctly, which I, I would guess a lot of them aren't just based on conversations I've had with people in a lot of those communities. Um, but I, I think if they were implemented in a way that they were focused on developing warfighters on whatever platform in whatever community you're talking about in the way that I think they should, and that they have been demonstrated like to successfully be able to, to do in like submarines and special warfare and stuff like that, where those, those programs are done in a way that add a lot of value to that community and their warfighting ability. So I, I would think that it would apply everywhere if done correctly. So if done correctly, yes, I a hundred percent think they should be mandatory um, with the, 
I might need you to repeat the first part. Okay. <laughs> uh, one sec. I lost it. Uh, how do you, what are some leadership experiences and tips you can give to oh, for E5s and juniors? Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, so when a lot of times, one of the, cha- and that's honestly one of the reasons I started this podcast was um, I, I was an A school instructor at the time. It's been about seven years. Uh, I had a lot of junior sailors just getting out to the fleet and they were reaching back asking like two flavors generally of questions. And one of them was like kind of focused on not knowing how to deal with certain types of leaders, like especially like the E5s, E6s of the world, because a lot of these sailors are on, on carriers and stuff. So their first le- first line leader that they're dealing with the most frequently is generally like a second class or a first class. And then on the flip side of that, it was they were thrust into some kind of supervisory role as a young third class. And, oh, God, what do I do with my hands? So um, the biggest stuff that that I could tell you in dealing with leadership responsibilities or in in trying to put yourself in in a role like that is if it's a literal role, like where you're a work center supervisor or maybe like an ALPO or something. Even an LPO, like I had a second class LPO on a submarine because we were small. So, so smaller shops might have a second class LPO, but is kind of some of the stuff I talked about earlier when we were talking about uh, chiefs being humanized. It's like be relatable, um, ask questions, ask for feedback, like open yourself up to that kind of stuff with the understanding that at the end of the day, you're going to make a decision and we're going to go with that. And I'm going to explain to you why we're doing that. And you can agree or disagree, but that's still what we're doing. Um, but also being open to the fact that when I present a plan and say, hey, this is what uh, I'm thinking about doing, that's the time to to inject your input. And so being open to that kind of stuff as well is like, I've never, again, I've never found a, a, a better filter than like a group of E4s and E5s to punch holes in my great idea. You know, and I did a lot of that even at the command level when I was filling in for the cob. I'd, we'd come up with some kind of policy and I would walk out of the chief's mess and walk into the uh, area where all the E5s and E4 cruise mass or whatever and say, and I, there was always a couple of real vocal guys that were very willing to tell me what, it, when they thought something was stupid, put it in front of them, tell them to start poking holes in it. And that a lot of it was really good stuff. And it's like, I've been at this point, I've been a chief longer than I was ever in a, a blue shirt. So it's like, I, do I remember what it was like? Yeah, I think so. But like, maybe not, I don't know. So I want that perspective. Uh, and input so that they, because f- when you do that, like when you find yourself in these roles, especially when you're a lower level leader, it's got to feel, it's going to have to feel more like a team effort. You're not going to have as much legitimate authority or ability to just say, do it and think that that group of people's actually going to just do it. Uh, because it's like, again, like a chief walks in the room, says, Hey, go do this thing. This, that group of people, because of the legitimate authority, the rank, uh, and the power they have to make your life hurt, you're going to be more apt to go do it. Even if it's just compliance for the sake of like self-preservation, you're going to go do it. Where if a second class walks in, it's like, well, how much harm can this guy do to me? You know, like I, you know, just let's be honest. So it's got to feel a lot more like a team effort that you're kind of, kind of managing. Um, and it's got to feel like everybody's got input in a lot of ways. So I having conversations with them, involving them in the decision-making process, um, and, and which again, like, I always think there's value in that, uh, cause then those people feel like they, they own a piece of that process. Like this wasn't, you know, the LPO's idea. This was our idea, you know, like we decided what our fate was going to be. And that was something that I, I leveraged a lot as a chief on a, on a submarine was 
look, look, like I'm not going to be the one in there standing this watch. So if I'm going to tell you this is how we're going to do it, I want to know that it's not a stupid idea. Like I want to know that I'm not unnecessarily making your life hard. So I would sit down, I'd come up with those ideas because I also have a ton of experience and I'd like to think I'm a pretty smart dude. So I'd say like, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Like, here's the, here's the rough, rough sketch of the plan. What do you guys think? And they would start poking holes in it or not. They'd say it was a great idea. And why didn't we think of that? So it, it'd go either way sometimes. And sometimes we, we got to a place where they would come to me with ideas and say, Hey chief, can we try this? And I'm like, uh, okay, did you think of this? You think of that? And they're like, yeah, no, we did. And we think it'll work. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Like, as long as we're not breaking any rules, it's not unsafe. Like I'm, I'm still fought, like accomplishing all the things that I need to by policy. Like, yeah, why not? If you guys think it'd be easier, let's do it. And there were times where they would do things that I thought if I was the guy in there standing galley watch captain, I would hate that. Like that would make my life miserable. And I told him that. But they, they're now nah, we, this is how we like to do it. I'm like, okay, whatever. If that, I think it's harder than it needs to be, but if that's how you like to do it, I don't, I just want you in there happy getting after it. So like, go ahead, do it that way. I don't care as long as it's getting done and the product is acceptable and we're not breaking any rules and everything's like, cool, whatever. So that's kind of the approach I take when you're in that junior level uh, spot. It, yeah, it becomes harder because you don't have legitimate authority, but honestly, most leaders sh- shouldn't be leaning on legitimate authority anyway like that should be like your last resort so walking so, that question back a little even further uh we got mm-hmm. a question here from astral who just put on uh e4 mm-hmm. automatic for his rate so not a lot of respect there but he asked the question um what do you feel is the best things that junior sailors can do to thrive or survive in an environment of bad leadership and what what do you think that they as a junior sailor can do to change the climate? So even further back than that, right? Like much more junior. Yeah. So for you to survive and thrive in a, in a area of bad leadership is kind of control what you can control. And so that's going to kind of answer your second question too, is for you to impact the climate, all you can do is control what you can control, right? So you, everybody's got a sphere of influence and that sphere of influence grows as you get promoted by position and rank, right? So whatever you can do for the group of sailors that you have in your sphere of influence to make their life, not just like, like not just mitigate the negative effects of that bad leadership, but also like uh, maybe even shield them from it to a certain extent um, and, and just make decisions and do things in a way that, make their life uh good like make it easy to do their job make sure they have all the things they need make sure they're taken care of they have whatever time they need to go do the things that they need to do they're getting qualified etc right um you're you're not going to be able to fix the command right and i can tell you this from experience even at the higher levels like i was I able to make an impact like did i make a dent yeah maybe uh i think there were some positive conversations that happens. I think that my input was valued. I think that, um, I definitely like made a a slight mark on, on like the, the process of going forward and, and doing things a little bit better, but I definitely made my money controlling what I can control. And when I'm a department chief on a submarine that fills in for the cop, my sphere of influence is pretty large. Um, to the point that I even had people and I still to this day have people coming to me that net like never actually worked for me, but 
they were somebody that I'd walk around the submarine and just talk to sailors and just say like, Hey, how's it going? And like kind of presented myself in a way that I was approachable. They started to trust me. They knew they could talk to me and they knew they could bring me problems. And I had either the cob's ear or I was acting as, and so then I could make decisions. And so I had a lot of, of influence where at the lower levels, you're not going to have so much influence, but you're going to have a sphere of influence that you can control and just do the best you can in that way. And then something I, I probably should have said this earlier for, there was another question um, in, in this vein, but like junior sailors in leadership positions need to look up too. And so when we're looking up at and saying that this leadership sucks, right? Does it suck or is it figuring it out as they go along? Are, are they people that are terrible human beings with bad character or are they the type of people that uh, got put in a position without being fully prepared and they're learning on the job, right? Because one of the foundational concepts of this whole podcast thing is that throughout our entire careers, we're never provided leadership development and education formally until you get to the senior enlisted academy. And they're trying to do it with the NLEC ELD stuff now. And I've heard pretty good things about it. So I hope that that takes off and does really great things. but the leaders that are in these positions were never taught how to do it. They were brought up in a certain way and their behavior was validated through promotions and awards, whether it was good or bad. And now we find ourselves with them as our LPO or chief or whatever. Right. And they may not be, and I can tell you from my side of things generally are not bad people. They're regular people trying to figure it out right and generally they have your best interests at heart but they don't always know the right way of going about taking care of that thing or even conveying to you that they in fact have your best interests at heart um i know a lot of like air quotes bad chiefs that i've sat in the mess with that are like burying their face in their hands in tears like why can't like i why can't they just trust me or why don't they like me or why can't i get this thing done or why does my division not listen or whatever like tore up about the fact that they screwed a thing up or that they can't figure out how to do this thing right and see so we then spent a bunch of time talking about it but they've never been taught like they just haven't and it sucks that that's real and so that's kind of another thing that you can do is spend time like learning but i'm going to cough again Good Lord. Um, but supporting your leadership. So like, even when it's nauseating, <laughs> like even when like you're really swallowing your pride in a certain kind of way, like if there's something that needs to get done to support mission accomplishment and that's best for your shop, just do it. If you're, if your leadership needs something done that you you kind of you recognize it but i've seen divisions let leaders fall on their face right because they don't like them like an lpo or a chief or a divo and that is the like absolute wrong answer unless you can like objectively prove to me that they're the devil you know like that they're one of those leaders that most people think they have and generally don't um like they exist but they're rare so it's like actually get behind them and push because one of the first things I say when somebody brings me a specific case of, hey, my leadership sucks. This is what they did, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, what are you doing about it? Like, what are you doing to help? Because like it could be, a if, we're not, if we're not talking about like a very specific case of I was done wrong by my leadership because a lot of those are brought and they're objectively bad. It doesn't mean that leader's a devil. It means they screwed up generally. Um, and we'll talk about the specific case, but I'm talking about like when somebody's like, ah, oh, that uh, command climate it's here sucks. 
uh, leadership's toxic, blah, blah, blah. It's and like, I hate coming to work. And it's, it's more talking about like the broader concept of command climate and just the way things are done and leadership's stupid and we hate them. It's like, okay, what are you doing about it? Well, what do you mean? What am I doing about it? Well, you have control over your input. Like you have control. And a lot of times you have influence over other people's input and attitude and, and whatever. Right. So if a shop full of people that think they have a terrible leader were to get together and conspire to help that person, what could change? Like what's the potential outcome there? Well, that leader's a lot less stressed out. They hate their life a lot less. And so maybe they start behaving in a way that's a lot more positive, right? But when they think everybody's out to get them all the time, including their own division, you have an adversarial relationship with your leadership. Should you be the one that's fixing this problem? No, you shouldn't. Your leader should do a better job. I agree with you. But also kind of detach, zoom out a little bit. That leader used to be where you are. Where you are now, are you provided leadership development and education? If you were promoted one time right now, would you be provided leadership development and education? Would you be prepared and qualified to do the next level job? Because I can tell you the day I made chief at nine and a half years, I had no idea what I was doing. I figured it out, and thank God I was at the command I was at because it was like chief university. But like really, really great people there. But not everybody's that lucky. And unless you luck box your way into a great mentor, when are you provided leadership development and education? Like, okay, go read a John Maxwell book. Like that'll help. But when are you provided this? Like when are these leaders that we all want to burn an effigy provided the, the leadership development and education to qualify and prepare them to do the job that they're doing? Never. Until they're at the senior enlisted academy, which generally you have to be an E8 to attend. And it's amazing. I went. I loved every second of it. It was really, really great. And the whole time I was wondering to myself, why in the hell is this not done at every level? And again, the ELD inlet courses are attempting that, and I hope it succeeds wildly. But that doesn't fix where we're at right now. And so when you're looking at those types of situations, I would encourage you to give that human being the benefit of the doubt. Could they be a bad person? Absolutely. But it's pretty rare that you're that you got a sociopath as a chief. It's generally someone that is immature in their leadership development. And that doesn't mean they're a brand new chief. That just means they haven't been developed. This could be a senior chief, as disgusting as that is to say out loud. So what do they like? What do they need to be better? Like, what do they need to do to do a, a better job? Like, they probably need help, uh, the support of their division. Like, so y- you can add to their abilities by like supporting them, helping them out, doing the things that they need to do. Again, I'm not saying you got to like put them up on your shoulders and, and carry them out of the shop cheering. Like that, a lot of this is on them to be doing. Like they should be at a place in their life that they've at least matured to the point that they can recognize that they need that leadership development and education, but it's often not the case. And it's not the case because we've handicapped them by validating their performance and behavior and ideas with promotions and awards and then they find themselves in this place so they don't think they're doing it wrong it's a weird catch-22 but your ability to influence a shop or even a command it's like that's that's the best suggestion i can give you don't ever put it on your own shoulders like thinking that you're going to be able to fix the command because i couldn't even fix the command i think i think i contributed towards making it better but i think probably the biggest impact i made was on sailors like taking care of them whether they're in my sphere of influence which was pretty large at the time um i hope that answers that question it's it's a tough spot to be in because i don't like 
you a lot of really intelligent, high functioning young sailors want to do that. Like they look at this, they identify a problem within their command and they're like, man, I really wish I could influence that in a positive way. And it's like, like you can influence it in a positive way, but you're not going to be able to influence it in the significant way that you want to at such a junior level, as much as that sucks. You kind of just have to accept that you have that sphere of influence for now at the current level that you're at. So do the best you possibly can with that. If opportunities present themselves to influence it at a bigger level, like if you all of a sudden get a commanding officer or a CMC that opens up like these forums and is like, I want to hear from everybody. And the CO suggestion box starts turning into policy because they think you have good ideas all of a sudden. Yeah, 100 percent do that. Inject yourself into that process. But uh, how, you know, if that uh, has ever happened, it's pretty rare. So just, you you know. Unfortunately, the answer that I give that probably isn't that popular is control what you can control. I think that was a great answer. Uh, the next question comes from Stealth Command. Apologies, my mic just muted on myself. Uh, representing the um, smaller departments and outgoing Navy, Master Chief, do you believe that sub IDCs and just even surface IDCs provide a sufficient level of medical knowledge, or do you believe the Navy should employ physicians and physician assistants on all boats going out. I only have real life experience with sub IDCs. Uh, I think they're incredible. I've never had one that hasn't been able to meet my needs um, and hasn't been able to handle like what happens out to sea in a submarine. I mean, I'm sure there could be some like high level debate about whether or not because there's times where we do medevac sailors because the capacity of that IDC and the facilities, the problem they have, it's beyond the capacity of those things. And could that keep like a, a submarine or ship or whatever out to sea longer? I mean, yeah, sure. If, if we had a physician that could take care of a problem that uh, an IDC can't, then yeah, great. But I don't know how much you would gain by going beyond an idc because like i said i mean i and i've heard of there's been some bad ones too like but my experience with the probably half a dozen of idcs that i've had over my career they were all awesome like even the ones i wasn't like a personally a big fan of they knew their job and they could take care of every need i ever had so yeah i don't i i would like to see a junior corpsman on board with them that would be great uh, if the if the IDCs that get underway had like an HM3 with them, I think it, there'd be a lot of value added there um, for them to have a second set of hands and for some of the other stuff that that happens, um, they can just yeah, you know, I mean they can go get me a bag of Motrin, you know what I mean? Like, but uh, also like it in I for those of you that don't know, I got to talk to James Parlier. He was a CMC on the coal when it was bombed, and uh, he was a corpsman, so he kind of talked about some of the triage that happened and like how they like cared for a lot of the people that were, were injured. And it was just like the, on a submarine, I think about something like the, the San Francisco collision happening and the level of training, most of what they call EMAT. It's an emergency medical assistance team. It's generally mostly the cooks, like my junior cooks. Um, not a lot of IDCs are out there giving them super robust training. Like it's, it happens. I had one, uh, there's a guy I've had on the podcast. I mean, those guys could stitch, they could run IV bags. They could do a lot of valuable things in, in that type of a scenario. But on most boats, like I knew how to carry a stretcher and that was about it. So 
I think there'd be a lot of value added there by adding like an HM3. I think that'd be cool. And I think a lot of young Corman would see that, like get to see that IDC world ahead of time and be like, oh yeah, this is what I want to do or not, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I guess in my completely unqualified opinion, I don't think we need doctors or PAs on submarines. I think IDCs are outstanding. All right, the next question is from someone you know, recently put on Chief, also a DJ in his free time. Ooh, Go ahead. Somebody, and I, somebody I know. So, well, you guys promote it at the same time. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. And, you know, you guys are all linked to the same brother, Hivemind, so. <laughs> go ahead, Atlantis, whenever you're ready. There you go. Oh, there I am. Yeah, I'm not Nailed great it. with this. No, no, we don't. We've just probably been in Bangor. We probably met each other in passing. Oh, uh, yeah, probably. All right, yeah. Uh, so, hey, my question is, so, as you mentioned earlier, you were the CMEO on one of the boats, right? Mm -hmm. So, I'm currently a CMEO at my command, and uh, one thing that I know I've been disappointed by is... Uh, the limits of creating the type of change that sailors are actually demanding through that program within the command, uh, yeah. particularly in terms of resistance from upper leadership, understanding their role in things. Uh, where do you feel like that program could be improved and what methods did you employ to get your upper chain of command to actually meaningfully self-reflect on their own role in that program? Um, well, <laughs> I can tell you what I tried to do. Did I get them to meaningfully reflect? No, not really. And that's the... Hmm. That's the tough part with it for me is debriefing like a command climate survey where there's clearly trends saying that, you know, the CO does this thing and we hate it or, um, you know, like the chief's mess does this thing and we hate it and or whatever we want to we want to see this type of change. I sat in there and it was this kind of. Um, oh, well, that's not true. And then they like laugh it off and I'm like, uh, like OK. It is true. I have, <laughs> I have multiple comments and oh, by the way, I work here. Like it is true. And you guys need to take this stuff seriously. What we ended up doing that I thought had a lot of value was we did, um, and I'll probably have a trouble recalling some of the terms, but like the small focus groups after the fact with the command resiliency team. And then the focus groups that come after that with like different cross sections of crew members. I think the conversations are really valuable. And then we, we did a submarine cultural workshop after that, that it seemed like while it was happening, the sailors got a lot of value out of it. But then when it came time for any kind of action by the chain of command, that was where it was like, it, it was, I was really disappointed by the conversations I had with my triad about it. And I thought a lot of it, especially when it pertained to them or to chiefs, it was kind of laughed off. And I'm just like, this not, that's not what th this is a mirror. Like you're standing in front of it. You should be able to identify that these things exist. Uh, 150 people just told you that this is a problem. I mean, obviously like, you know, it's not 150 of the same comment, but there's a trend that we identify that like you're taking bad grades in this area and, or there's a lot of specific handwritten comments like, uh, you know, you got to take these things seriously. What I'd like to see happen is for, like higher level commanders to demand accountability on it, which I think the reports go up, but I've never, unless it's like really, really bad. And by then you generally have semio like EO complaints, not uh, just the, the climate survey. 
unless you have like really, really, really bad uh, surveys come back, generally what you end up seeing is, okay, yeah, check, check the box, make the spreadsheet, green, USS, whatever is done with their command climate survey. I'd like to see more attention put on it by uh, higher level commanders. But the, on the flip side of it, what I've seen happen is I th- I, there's no hard and fast requirement, at least when I was doing it, for completion of that survey. And it, it just had like guidelines where it's the metrics were something like if you get above like 45 or 50 percent, it's like that's a good survey. I would like to see it basically explain to sailors in a way that like, hey, this is your opportunity, <laughs> like fire away where it's generally not. And that was, that was one of the mechanisms I employed to get a better survey response and more honest comments was like, look, this is one of your only chances to provide feedback on how the chain of command is doing their job, how you think the chiefs are doing, like what you think the climate's like and how you wish it would change and stuff like that. Like if there was ever a time to, to say what you mean, now is the time and it's all anonymous. What the problem is, is not a lot of sailors believe it's anonymous when the stuff is briefed they don't see a lot of action taken on it so they kind of just don't they kind of think it's like a like one of those phone surveys you do at the end of a like a call with like some kind of company it's like no i'm not i don't want to do that because you don't really care anyway so yeah i guess it would probably need to be like revamped and repackaged in a way that sailors could provide that input and that they would do it in a like we would have to encourage or require participation, which requiring participation is probably not the move because then you're going to get a lot of people just like clicking one thing throughout the thing and then typing I don't care on the box. But uh, yeah, so finding a way to do it where the involvement in it is a little more, I don't know, personal or like discussion based or like involved and then it done in a way where that feedback is incorporated into something meaningful. Cause I think that's probably the biggest problem is like the, the, like you said in your question is like the feedback is generally not valued. And a lot of it stops at the, at the triad of that command, unless they get the world's worst survey or an EO complaint. Um, so I, some kind of, of programming in of like, Hey, this is, and, Honestly, like the way you probably drive that is if they could do online surveys that drives a CEO's like EO grade and then that actually gets factored into their fit reps, you'd probably see a slightly different attitude taken towards it. Cause like you see E1 through E6 evals has like equal opportunity on there and it's almost never taken seriously as a, as a individual trait when grading. Um, and we'd go down a whole nother rabbit hole about how broken the eval system is, but like if it was factored into uh, a CEO's fit rep, and it, it may be, but I mean, in a meaningful way, like I, I'd have to go look at how they do their fit reps. But I would like get, get, give you a quick break and add my two cents. Uh, yeah. I was on the command resiliency team and we had to put together a presentation for the command um, about our results. And I was doing this as an E6, you know, we signed it like a non-disclosure agreement and all that. Um, but I had permission to do this and the, we had the entire command, so you know, several hundred people in this giant, you know, room with this giant screen. And I said, let's talk about this, uh, the the command survey. A lot of people here don't believe in it; they don't believe it's worth yeah. anything. But I want to show you something. 
here is some comments that we got on the survey. And I want everyone to appreciate the irony of this. And it's just all on one giant screen. The comment said, it doesn't matter what I fucking write. Nobody reads these things anyway. <laughs> and it was in front of the whole command. <laughs> I, yeah, I love that. I wish that was a requirement. Cause it, I think immediately dispelled the myth. Yeah. Right. Like, and I'm showing like, and you can see it's anonymous. I don't know who wrote it. There was no date or time. It's just a list of things that look like this. Like just me, me I was yeah. not aware of what the process was before I was on the cat team. And it doesn't have to be a secret. And I think being transparent about that gives it some reality. Yeah. No, I, I really like that. I wish that was a requirement in the program that it has to be briefed to the entire command. And I would even like, it could be, it could be like somebody like me, but I would almost like to see the triad do it because it's like, you have to talk about it. Like, I want you to stand up in front of, like, I could like give the introduction, frame it in a way like where you explained like, no, this is how it's structured. This is how the comments look, blah, blah, blah. But then to have like, like stand up there and have the, the command triad, like answer the question. Like uh, why, why does the chief's mess suck? Like, like get stand up there in front of that group of people and answer that question. Because I've seen some really specific comments about thing like where they give an example of like, this is why I think the chiefs must sucks. And they give like this example of how their leave got canceled when they had a flight booked already and it was approved previously or whatever, you know, like, and have to stand up there in front of the crew and justify it. That would be a, a fun way to get it to be valued by the triad and even the, the participants because if they got to stand up there and, and talk about those things and like, and it kind of cuts both ways. Cause like, yeah, that stupid uh, comment card thing that cooks do. Right. And I, I think it's ridiculous because you almost never get any valuable feedback from it. You get like a lot of good jobs for some of the cooks when they do good things, but you get a lot, at least on submarines, we get a lot, a lot of really like ridiculous ones where it's just like empowered by anonymity. They say a bunch of ridiculous crap that doesn't make sense. Yeah. That's another then, thing is in my presentation, I also showed, Hey, when you guys are going to leave a comment, when you just write like this sucks, it's with, like, no context. We can't do anything about that. Right. Right. It adds no value. Like it might've made you feel better for a half a second when you typed it, but like, ha ha ha. Like I wrote this in the command climate survey, but it's like, it doesn't add any value. Like, why do we suck? Like why? Like be specific. Um, and that's what we say. Like, uh, so we do many review boards as well. And it's like, okay, like I, I get it. You don't want to tell me to my face. So write it on a comment card, send me an email. We had like this, uh, on submarines, we have like, um, it's a CO suggestion box, but you can do it with like a department heads or anyone department chiefs. So you can send them an anonymous thing, which again, a lot of sailors didn't believe that we couldn't go in and like, look and see who they were, which I mean, the network administrator might be able to, but I can't. And, uh, it's like, Hey, if you have like feedback that you want to submit, but you don't want it, me to know it's you or like, okay, cool. But don't tell me I suck. Tell me why I suck. All right. Cause it's not valuable if you don't tell me why, cause then I can't fix it. Like, I don't generally know why I suck. Like it, maybe it, it could be a million things. So yeah, I think, uh, I think that's amazing. I, I really, I really like that idea. Cool. So I think that we, we had more questions in chat, but, um, I think we're hitting our time limit and I think you're hitting your voice limit. Oh, I, I'm good. I'm oh. like, this is mostly just allergies. I got some crap in my throat. That's making me oh. sound hoarse, but I'll be all right for a little bit longer. If you okay. Want to yeah. We're, we're fine to keep going, I guess. Um, Dinah, you at the next question. You want to try to use your mic again or. It feels like every 
Every generation of leaders is disconnected from the needs of the junior sailors. What are some things we can do for the future to improve communication between senior decision-making leaders and junior sailors so problems are effectively communicated and solutions? Essentially, why is communication between leaders, senior leadership and junior sailors so bad? Oh, because they don't trust us. That's the, the main thing for me is that junior sailors don't trust chiefs. It's not that they don't trust me as a person, right? Like it's, it's shockingly easy to overcome it one-on-one, right? Where my current job, I go down on submarines and do inspections on the supply department, right? So like I'll go down on a new submarine every time we're there for two and a half days. These guys generally don't know me, like know of me generally, but they don't know me personally unless they worked for me or maybe I was their A school instructor. So I'll go down there and I'll go in the galley and kind of just like make them nervous. And, and you get that, that type of a response. Like you can feel it in the air that they don't want me in there. It takes me about 30 seconds to break the ice and get them telling me all of their dirty secrets, you know, like um, just coking and joking in the galley, like laughing as soon as, as soon as I give them permission to behave that way and that it's, Oh, this master she's not going to yell at us for, for uh, joking around and, and, kind of like just talking about these types of things. Oh, okay, cool. So it's the trust piece is gigantic. Um, and when you're in leadership positions, it's more difficult, right? Because there's obviously certain, they, they know they're not going to have to deal with me for more than two and a half days either. So th- there's that. But um, when you're in a leadership position as a senior enlisted leader of any kind, like a LPO chief, whatever, taking the time to earn their trust is one is probably I'll, I'll call it the most important thing because that's what i believe but okay maybe you make an argument about something else but um i think it's the most important thing you can do and i think it's the most important thing you can do because it, it it makes everything possible like it makes communication possible it makes um them like when i'm in a moment where i don't have time to in detail communicate the why and how and everything else and i tell you hey just go do this right now that you trust because I've spent time cultivating that trust in that relationship that I've thought about all the things I have the big picture in mind. I need you to do this right now without asking any questions. Like that takes trust to get a sailor to do that and to get him to do it the right way without questioning you. Like it's not something I want to make a habit of doing, but there's going to be times, especially when it's emergent, whether that means like a ship casualty or that just means like, Hey, the truck's about to leave. There's going to be times where I, de- I need to demand that of them. Say, hey, I need this done right now. Go. Uh, and, with that, and it might suck. It might be a thing that's really painful. They got to drop what they're doing and go do this thing that I need. And it's going to set them back an hour and whatever. But when you spend time building trust, you're going to have that ability to demand a lot more of your sailors. But spending the time doing that is going to take you humanizing yourself, which I talked about earlier. Like You're going to have to show them enough and and junior sailors are really intuitive and smart and they can see through your bullshit a lot more than you think they can like there's i it's shocking to me how how little faith a lot of chiefs have in junior sailors ability to see right through their bullshit and they can also tell when you actually care or you're just playing one on tv you know like they they know if you genuinely care about them and you genuinely have their best interests at heart and you want to help them with a thing instead of just checking the box, right? Like you'll see, you'll see enlisted leaders walk around and like, Hey, how's it going? How's your family? Like blah, blah, blah. 
And you can tell the di- immediately tell the difference between someone who's doing that because it, they feel like it's what they should be doing and somebody that's doing that because they actually care how your family is. And so it's, it's a real simple step of just actually, actually care and, and go demonstrate that to your junior sailors. A lot of people get caught up in leadership styles and, well, I'm quiet and reserved and don't show a lot of emotion. That's all right. I, they can tell. Like I'm telling you right now, like junior sailors will be able to tell. I don't care what your personality type is, your, your mode of communication, whatever. They'll know if you care or not, right? And they're pretty forgiving as far as like mode of communication and personality type and leadership style. Like, yeah, they might respond better to somebody like me who's got like the loud booming voice and more of a command presence and looks the part and stuff like that. But I've seen guys that like, they're kind of like sloppy, nerdy, like whatever, however you want to say it. They don't look the part. They definitely don't sound the part and their division or department would walk through hell for them because they actually cared and they demonstrated it, not just through words, but through actions. Right. So anytime I, this buddy of mine, and I'll leave his name out of it, but um, he's a senior chief that I've, I've talked about his situation before where he's the guy that, uh, a senior chief that went to captain's mast. But he went to captain's mast for loving his sailors to a fault, basically. Like he made a mistake in a, in a moment of weakness where he just didn't want his sailors to suffer anymore. So he lied about something he shouldn't have and then immediately admitted it because he has integrity. And then you know, he ended up going to mass for it. But he was the kind of guy that like he'd give you his shirt off his back if he thought you might need it. Like he was that kind of where you're like, dude, just, I don't need a shirt. I'm good. But he's like, ah, well, you might need one later. So just take it. Um, that kind of a guy like just would lay down in traffic for his sailors if he thought it was in their best interest and they knew it. And he wasn't your typical like vocal leader. He was the kind of guy, he stuttered a lot when he stood in front of a group of people, uh, always looked like he was nervous, soft-spoken guy, like, uh, <laughs> bald, a little chubby, like not, he didn't look like the type of like, I don't know, like prototypical go get him like type leader, uh, that you might think that would just kind of have it all locked down and it would be easy for him or just the type of leader where when sailors tell stories about that one chief that they actually liked, that it was kind of that type of person. And like this guy, I've never seen it. Sailors like want to follow someone more like it, it was it was incredible. And so it's, it doesn't really matter how you go about doing it as long as you're doing it. If you go into the relationship with the desire to like, just care and, and make sure they have everything they need and you are genuinely invested in their success and progression and making sure that the mission's accomplished, but not at the expense of them. It's like, you know, like, yeah, we have to, we have to accomplish a mission. And, and yes, there's going to be times where it's going to feel like I'm expending more uh, effort than maybe required, or we have to like go really hard and it's going to hurt and it's going to leave a mark even, but it's like, they're going to be willing to do that for you because you're the type of leader that is going to take care of them on the back end or already took care of them on the front end or whatever. They just trust that this needs to happen because chief saying it needs to happen. It's really, it's like, it's super possible to, to do that, um, to take the time to, and it, it's a lot simpler. It's not always easy, but it's a lot simpler than people think it is. 
because sometimes I kind of talk about this in general terms where I'm like, oh, just get him to trust you. Well, okay, how do I do that? Well, be just going into it, being a genuine human being, actually acting on the things that you think should be happening, making sure that they have everything they need. Like as something as simple as drink runs, it's a, a story I've told in the podcast before where be in the middle of a store's load. And so one, I demonstrate to them that I'm there with them and that I care about them where we're they're the most important place for me to be when we're loading food for a deployment on a submarine is amongst that stores load. And sometimes the most important place for me to be when it's 2300 and we're still not out yet because we're stowing food is to be de-bloused and stowing food because they just, the faster I can get this food stowed, the faster I can get them off the submarine. So I do those things, right? But also like when we're in the midst of doing it, a lot of the times the way that it happens is we work really, really long days. They give us like this impossible timeline and they're overworked and like at their wits end in a lot of scenarios because then the wind blows, the crane stops moving, the, it starts raining, just stupid. And you're standing up there with pallets of food, just like wishing, like wishing you weren't there. Um, I was going to say something else. And, um, it's you kind of recognize that moment when the tension starts to peak and i'll be like hey guys i'll be right back uh just keep going or take a break or whatever depending on where we're at in the stores come back 20 minutes later with everybody's favorite energy drink maybe some other crap and start passing them out and it's just this moment of like oh thank god you know what i mean like it's a tiny thing it's a tiny thing but it's this moment of oh thank god and just the the gesture the fact that one i didn't have to i did it without being asked three i actually remember all their favorite energy drinks like that tiny, tiny moment of relief, I can't even tell you how much like trust and faith it buys from those sailors. Again, not why I did it. I did it because I genuinely care about them and I thought it would cheer them up. But they know that and by virtue of them knowing that and seeing that and reading that from that action, it's like they take away from that that I'm a guy that cares about them and that they can trust. And it's that simple. It's not always the easiest thing in the world for certain people to, to do it in a way that, that kind of fits what they're comfortable doing. But it's like, it's pretty simple. And sometimes it's also really easy. Um, let them go home when you say you're going to let them go home. A lot of the stuff you see in memes and stuff all over the internet. It's shockingly easy to communicate to junior sailors that you're a person that they can trust but you have to do it consistently through your behavior. You can't cave into the pressures of, oh, well, the chain of command wants to do this. Well, yeah, sometimes I'm going to have to march out of the mess with a message I don't want. And I'm not going to march out there and say, well, the chain of command sucks, so we have to go do this thing either. They're going to not do this, start doing this thing in 1800. They're going to know by my inability to completely mask the inflection in my voice. You know, like They're going to know. So there's going to be times where that happens as well, but that's going to be another one of those moments where I'm demanding or that I need to demand of them. And they're just going to answer that call because they know they're not dumb. So I, the biggest disconnect for me is trust, but the, the easiest thing to fix is also trust. It's like organizationally, I think we got a lot of work to do rehabbing our image, which I mean, I've, I've gone in excruciating depth on the podcast on this. So if you want to hear about me, wax philosophical about the chief's mess and the organizational structure and how I think there needs to be institutional change. Go check those out. I, I won't like go revisit all that now, but there's a lot that needs to get fixed so that in, in the way that we present ourselves and the way that chiefs are held accountable in the lack of transparency and, and artificial division for no reason and stuff like that, that I think would help a ton also. Um, but in like an individual 
uh, one-on-one relationship that most divisions have with their chief. Repairing trust is not that difficult. And even if the organization has the reputation and kind of lack of trust organizationally that it does right now, it's shockingly easy for one individual chief to fix that in that relationship with that one division or department or whatever, um, just by being a good person and demonstrating it through action. Like it might, if you got a division that's really bitter and jaded and had a bad chief for a long time, might take a little bit longer, but they're going to be able to tell pretty quickly, like, "Eh, I think this one might be different. And you're going to have to show them through your action to earn that back, but you'll be able to earn that back if you keep doing it. Um, But yeah, I, that probably was a bit much for <laughs> the, the reason why I think is is trust. Um, I think communication is just a symptom of the greater problem. But uh, I and it all improves when you when you fix trust. All right, I think we'd like to end it on this question here. Yeah. Which seems kind of I gotta find it kind of hokey, <laughs> but I do like it. Where did it go? Uh, all right, it's from Grimm. It says, if you were McPond for a day, what's the first major policy change you would seek to enact? As in, what do you think deserves immediate attention that the current leadership has not addressed yet? Hmm, interesting. I, I mean, I feel like I have to say leadership development and education, but um, honestly... It would, I mean, if it was a day one thing, I don't think I'd have time to invest the... I'm going to nuke this. <laughs> I don't know if I'd have time to uh, invest in, in that giant of a thing or even the rapid course correction of the chief's mess. But I think I'd probably. Hmm. If, if you could make anything happen in a day. Yeah, I'm pretty. I was gonna say I'm nuking this. I'm like, what could I get done in a day? Like, what's like, no, like what's <laughs> possible to get? One yeah, day. anything's possible. Got it. Yeah, I mean, fix the Chiefs mess, and that's a real general, um, a real general statement that requires a lot of things. But there's just such an obvious need for change, and it affects like everyone all the time, and that's like. The, the way I look at it is like, and I'm ironically, and I'll tell you why in a second, but ironically, I'm wearing a shirt right now in the back. There's like a, a spine and it says sailors are the backbone. And it's kind of a, a poking fun at the idea that chiefs are the backbone of the Navy um, because at best we're the rudder, you know, and then like officers are the helm, you know. But sailors are the ones getting the mission done, and my sole reason for existing is to make sure that they have everything they need and are completely prepared in every conceivable way to get the mission done. And I think if you polled every junior sailor in the Navy or just a large cross-section like the, and asked them that question, like, are we getting that definition done of like, they, like if, this, if you said this was a chief's job, are they getting it done? the vast majority would respond negatively, right? That no, my chief doesn't do anything except make my life harder. Some of that is perceived, but a lot of it's not, right? And then that's lack of leadership development and education and everything else. But I don't think we're doing our job as an organization for the the fighting force in the way that we're supposed to. And that would be the thing that if I could, if I could snap my fingers, like what's a dude from uh, Marvel? Thanos. Thanos, there you go. Uh, if I could snap my fingers and fix something like that, it would be the chief's mess. It would be turning it into the like the organization that I think 
in a lot of ways we we believe we are in our minds but we're not really you know and it's it's incredibly obvious and communicated to us i mean for fuck's sake we had an op-ed more than once in the navy times about how the chief's mess is broken like if a junior sailor on active duty has the stones to write an op-ed while they're still on active duty about how broken the chief's mess is there's probably a, a something going on there that needs attention and i don't know that at the highest levels there's an appetite to do that yet i i mean i think that there's rec there's problem recognition happening in certain ways. I don't think they know how bad it is. I don't think they're taking it seriously enough. I don't think that action is happening the way that it should be. But I also think that recognition of some of the problems is there and you see little little like bright spots here and there. Like one of the examples I've given recently was I shared the Mick Pond's season guidance on social media recently. Um, it's just like a memo he puts out every year talking about what he expects out of command senior enlisted leaders and chiefs during the chief season. And one of the lines that I liked the best was um, it talked about how the chief of naval personnel has already selected these people to be chiefs, right? This isn't a screening process. It's a, it's a training process. Like it's our responsibility to make sure that they're ready to be chiefs on pitting day. Like this isn't, we're not deciding whether or not we're going to accept them, which is a, a traditional viewpoint that, you're kind of, like you get to the end of the chief season and there's mo this moment called acceptance. And if you want to learn more about this, there's a teaching to the creed episode where I talk all about it. It's a symbolic like self-actualization thing that ha happens at the end of the final net events where we're kind of deciding if you're ready to be a chief basically. And it's like, we're talking about it, it through that lens, but it's, it's become this thing where a lot of people believe it to be literal and it's not at all. It's a, it's a moment designed to, basically finally flip the switch in the sailor's brain that like hey you're not you're a chief now you're not a junior sailor and like your responsibilities have increased and you have all these new blah 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 you know what i mean like just it's just this moment of self-actualization that hey you're part of the chief's mess now we're your family we're here to support you we want you to succeed blah blah, blah. some people have taken that to to be literal and there's been I, I've, st I've stood in a final night moment where a bunch of chiefs were like no we're not accepting them and i'm just like what like this isn't this isn't real like you guys are pretending that the game is real it's like this not no like that's not what we're doing we're using it as a mechanism to make that flips the switch flip right so it's like it's it's turned into this weird warped idea of what i think it could be um and that's yeah i would go all in on on fixing the chief's mess which would involve programming and leadership development education and all the other things i talk about all the time but i think that's it's a thing that would just it would add so much to so many areas and i mean stuff i probably couldn't think about if you gave me an hour to list everything like if if the chief's mess all of a sudden became became what it, it like we have an idea of in our mind of what it is like or what we think it should be and and you, by reading like the like the mission, vision, and guiding principles, like the stuff chiefs are evaluated on, if we actually lived up to that on a daily basis, I feel like that would l markedly improve the lives of every single sailor in the Navy. So that'd be the move. Well, thank you for answering that and all the other questions. Yeah, no, hey, I appreciate everybody's time. I know some people have already kind of stepped out, but I appreciate you guys setting this up. Whoever magically made that bot up here. I, I appreciate that as well. Now I got to figure out how to get the recording out of it, but 
but yeah, no, I appreciate you guys doing this for having me for sitting there as I went on five minute rants. Like, uh, it was awesome. I really enjoyed this. We appreciated having you here and, and we'd love if you came back at any point. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, no, we can definitely do it again. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, again, I had a ton of fun doing it. Really thank you to all the, all the discord moderators that made it happen and all the people for coming and hanging out. If you're not familiar with Discord, I put the invite link that you would need to go to the server. And I think you can just search for it too. When you download Discord, it's an app and or um, you can just do it via a web browser but and on your phone. Um, but yeah, you can uh, you should go check that out. It's it's really cool. I had a lot of fun uh, hanging out and it's, it's always funny to drop in and just see what everybody's talking about and lurk a little bit and uh, it's good times. It was fun to kind of get pulled into another community. And I always love answering questions, as you know, by the long-winded two-plus-hour podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm glad I got to do that. Uh, if you need anything from us, as always, hit us up. Don't go to the ship podcast at gmail.com. You Facebook message us, don't go to the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram or Reddit, or you can find me on Discord, <laughs> DGuts Podcast. Um yeah, hit us up. Uh, if you got questions, comments, concerns, episode ideas, suggestions, criticisms, whatever. Um, and then I'm finally going to actually, if you if you stuck around this long and I kind of owed them the answer because I told them I'd explain the t-shirt. Um, but if you stuck around this long, I think you deserve to know first. And I'll start talking about it more and putting it on social media and stuff. But there is social media accounts you can follow that uh, I'm, I've just kind of started doing. But I... Uh, in, in transitioning to retirement soon, which even that's, it, we I don't know the exact timeline, but I started to think about what I was going to do when I retired. And um, in doing that, I, I always kind of, the dream would be to do the podcast and other things um, for a living. And what will that look like? I don't really know. I don't know what my income will be when I, I know, I know what my pension will be, but uh, my disability rating is uh, who knows. And then, um, what money, if any, could I make from doing the podcast? If I had a, if, if I was active on YouTube and I had a Patreon account and, uh, or I did some donation based thing or potentially had sponsors, which is the kind of the one that makes me a little uneasy. Cause I don't want the po- podcast to feel like a product. Um, but I've been talking to a lot of smart people about it and, uh, I was trying to figure it out and an idea that I could do while I'm on active duty, because again, I've, I've said a bunch of times that I don't want to monetize the podcast itself until I'm retired. Um, I came up with this idea of, uh, and try not to cringe an apparel brand. <laughs> and so, uh, it, I know it sounds kind of, kind of odd. Um, but in, in a way it doesn't either. Cause, cause we're very proud people. That was something that the guys over at test up who, if you haven't heard our podcast yet, go check it out uh, on the Midwatch podcast that they said to me was like, Hey, we're a proud people and we want to be able to display that pride as submariners. And I, I mean, that translates over to every warfare community, Navy as a whole uh, chiefs, of course. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, we're made fun of for how prideful we can be with our stickers and shirts and all that crap. So, but I wanted to do it in a way that was me, you know, that, that reflected my values and, um, the, and the kind of stuff that I want to wear. Uh, I didn't, I couldn't find anything that I could display my pride and heritage that had my sense of humor, that was actually my style and size and, and all that stuff. And, um, 
and then heritage was a big thing too. I wanted that programmed in. So, uh, I have endeavored to start doing that. Uh, it'll be called don't give up the ship apparel. Uh, it'll be at dgutsapparel.com. The site has not launched yet. So if you try to go to that URL, it'll be a dead end for now. Uh, I plan on sh- launching the site uh, next month in September. And, uh, the, but the social media accounts are live now. So if you want to follow those, it's don't go to the ship apparel on Facebook. Um, and at D guts apparel on Instagram and you, so you can find us there. There's some pictures of some product stuff. I'm not super active on there quite yet. I'm, I'm still spinning all this up and figuring out how I'm going to balance it all. But, um, I'm really excited about it. Uh, you can see some pictures of, of some of the, the ideas and, and stuff that I'm working on, on Instagram and Facebook. And then, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited to next month launch, uh, what's effectively a business, uh, side of the house. And <laughs> it'll also ho- hopefully help fund the podcast platform and all the things that I want to do with this, uh, going forward. And especially when I retire. So that's what that shirt reference was. The, the sailors are the backbone thing that I was talking about towards the end there. And I figured, uh, it's about time I put it out. So, uh, God bless you. If you stuck around this long in this podcast and, uh, go check out those social media accounts, give them a follow. And then, uh, that way you'll know exactly when it launches. And I mean, I'll put it out on the DS podcast stuff too, uh, when it does launch and, and mention on the podcast, it's not something I'll spam all over the podcast, but, um, but yeah, I'm excited. I think it'll be cool. And, uh, I think you will all enjoy it. Uh, so I look forward to the response to that. Uh, and that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. <laughs>